0: I really did have fun, and if I sounded otherwise on the show, then edit me to make it sound like I had fun, because (laughs) I did.
1: No, I did. It, It was good. I had fun, too. I'm glad you two are having fun while I'm at work. Yep.
0: <laughs> <laughs> hey, well, I'm at work too. It's only Marco that isn't because he's doing my work for me. Tell me all about it. <laughs> That's right. I was sitting. I was. I was uh, suffering. It was just a little bit chilly outside at the outdoor mall <laughs> when the kids and Aaron were in at the children's <laughs> museum in the mall, and I was working on my uh, on my adorable.
2: Yeah, it sounds like a hard life.
0: It was tough. It, it, it was very difficult. Yeah, it was a little chilly. Good. Just a touch, touch too chilly. <laughs> If I'd moved out of the shade, it would have been better, but then I wouldn't be able to see my goddamn screen, so. <laughs> I don't know if it was because I stumbled onto the Wikipedia page for bug-out bags. So this is the, oh, shit, I've got to get out of the house now.
1: Where are you bugging out from?
0: I have no idea. I, this is So I was doing the show notes for Ask ATP. What's our WWDC EDC? Uh, which is you know everyday carry and then i was looking at i was trying to find a link for edc and then i stumbled on everyday carry on wikipedia and that led me to bug out bag and i was just reading about you know blizzards and earthquakes and for
2: all the natural disasters that hit virginia
0: hey we have we have uh, not hurricanes in like the florida sense but hurricanes in the surprising amount of rain and wind for as far inland as i am sense and so that can cause some problems from time to time.
2: Yeah, but I think you're you're far enough inland that it is merely surprising not like life ruining or house destroying
0: nine times out of 10. I would agree. There have been occasions that it's been actually legitimately scary, but yes, you are certainly far more right than you are wrong. But did you know Marco that a bug out bag or Bob may also be referred to as a good bag, which is uh, an acronym for get out of Dodge an inch bag. I'm never coming home, a personal emergency relocation kit or perk or a quick run bag, a QRB. Needless to say, someone has been looking at Wikipedia lately, and that someone is this guy.
2: See, I I feel like there's probably a lot of overlap between that community and the, like, red staters, like people who fantasize about zombie apocalypses and watch (laughs) The Walking Dead and really... Uh, uh,
1: I wasn't going to bring The Walking Dead into it, but I was just going to make the same point. This is like the slightly kinder and gentler version of the fantasy where you're going to be like, defending your family with your giant collection of mm. firearms the, the slightly yeah. kinder one is is that i'm going to somehow escape uh disaster when others don't because i have a well-packed bag
2: and that will make all the difference right <laughs> <Like, laughs> right like nobody prepares a bag like this without a little bit of a fantasy in their head that they someday will have to use it like that's it's the same thing with buying guns and everything it's like people want they fantasize about having a reason to use these things and they they kind of revel in the idea of that, and so like that's why like, I can't I can't even look at like everyday carry stuff because it very quickly turns to knives and guns. Yeah, like, I am yeah, yeah. I am very interested in lots of other things that people typically ca- classify as everyday carry, but if you look like on Instagram or anything for that, like it's quickly knives and guns, very very quickly. Mm-hmm.
0: No, I couldn't agree with you more, and you know uh, it's funny because. I I don't know if it's because I've lived in Virginia for a while. I I don't know if it's – I was never a Boy Scout, so it's not that. But there's something that appeals to me uh, about the thought of having a bag that I can grab at a moment's notice and know that anything I could reasonably need is within it. And I've talked many, many, many times about what I call uh, my Go Pack, which is all of my nerd – it's like my nerd bug out bag, right? So it's all of my nerd cables.
2: Right. I have one of those too. And I fantasize about someday needing that micro USB uh, (laughs) to USB-C cable. <laughs> I'm right there with you.
0: But but all snark aside, like it really is convenient. For, and then, and I think the difference between what I call a go-pack and a bug-out bag is that a go-pack you use presumably at least a few times a year. No matter how much or little you travel, you're going to travel at least occasionally. And so at least occasionally you'll use a go-pack. Whereas I, I do agree with what you're saying. A bug-out bag is like, ooh, you know, I'm like, you know, uh, hand-wringing in a, in a happy way. Like, oh, I can't wait to have that natural disaster so I can use my first aid kit that I spent $350 on that lasts forever. and I don't know. Like, it appeals to me in in, in a sense because I like the preparedness aspect of it, but I don't really see the point, you know?
1: It's not really preparedness. Like, even your adapter bag is, you know, just probably not actually preparing you for anything. But, like, any of
0: those other bags, like, just
1: in, in the balance of things that are going to help or hurt in, in the case of any kind of disaster, the few items you put in that bag are not going to make any difference. Like, it's, it's, not, it's not, you know, unless, unless you can fit uh food shelter in a vulnerable bubble and 3 years worth of st- shelf stable food into that bag it's not you know the the bag will not make the
2: difference yeah and like the reality <laughs> is like if society ever falls apart that much we're all just going to be killed immediately. Like, we're not, we're going to last no time at all. <laughs> like, well, I would have been killed, but I had a bag with some stuff in it.
0: Okay. <laughs> hey, hey, hey. That, that, that did it. You're, you say you're going to die immediately, but I have plenty of friends with these small arsenals in their homes, which does not make me comfortable. Yeah, they'll, they're all going to kill each other. It doesn't matter, and it's not going to help you.
2: Yeah, and like, what value will you provide them?
0: Mm-hmm. I'll be I'll be delicious to eat? I don't know. <laughs> yeah, exactly.
2: Yeah, a little gamey. <laughs> You'll have this bag they can take very easily from you. Yeah, exactly. <laughs>
0: For real, I don't know. This is all somewhat. This is, follow me down this tangent. This is all somewhat relevant because uh, last night we had one of the. It's you know. It's funny as parents how quickly you lose the ability to be woken up overnight. So Michaela is 16 months old and. You know, she has been sleeping through the night for most of those 16 months. And for the times that she wasn't, generally speaking, it was Aaron who was going in to nurse her. So, you know, I I got to sleep through the night a lot. But um, last night we had Declan having a bad dream. Then, of course, we had a smoke alarm that decided to go off. And, and even though the battery from the 9-volt you know, tongue test seemed fine, the smoke detector was dissatisfied with it. Um, so we had to do that, change that. And that was in Michaela's room, which made it all the worse. And then, of course, that woke her up, which made it even worse. And then there was something else that happened. Like, all of these are minor. Th- oh, the power flickered. That's, that was where this tangent come, came from. The power flickered a few times, which is pretty unusual for us these days. And, of course, my UPS is going ballistic and, you know, things that are on smart switches like the fans in the kids' room are now turning themselves off. And and none of these are a big deal. Like, in and of themselves, none of them are a big deal. It just so happened that they all decided to hit at once, like one hour apart from each other, which was not fun. So I'm, I'm a little tired and a little loopy. But, um, I don't know, it just got me thinking, like, What would happen if legitimately, like, our seemingly uh, very vulnerable power grid, like, legitimately just got hacked and shut down? Like, what happened, uh, what was it, around 2004-ish, when the Northeast, you know, like, shut down for two days or something like that? Uh, That that sounds terrifying. I
1: was on my way to work at Staples. Oh, nice. (laughs) I think it happens. I think we we didn't have power for, like, a week, maybe, on Hurricane Gloria, before you guys were born, maybe. Um, You just... Hang out in your house and I mean, especially if it doesn't happen in the dead of winter. In the dead of winter you've got more problems. But places with the dead of winter also have fireplaces and you can get by.
2: Even that time, like when when we had that giant northeast blackout when I was working at Staples, like it was really inconvenient for the few hours that we were in Pennsylvania that we were out of power and then it was fine. Like I I have Oh geez, I, I mean, I have the the amount of like battery capacity and flashlight capacity that I have in my office right here, within ten feet of me, is incredible. Like, I could keep our phones charged and our ha- and at least one room of our house somewhat lit with flashlights for like a week with what I have right here already. <laughs> and when am I ever gonna need it? Like, probably never. Yeah, and. If if any of it ever comes up, I'll be really excited to use it. Oh, I have just the battery for this purpose, right? And, the, and like that'll happen maybe once every ten years for an hour. And it, then it will then it'll never yeah. happen.
0: You know, my uh my parents live about forty five minutes from me and they have this very fancy uh inverter generator that's enough to power not the entire house, but like a large portion thereof. It's like a six thousand watt generator or something like that. And my mother in law, who is about twenty minutes from me, has a whole home like natural gas generator. And I've really, really, really kicked around the idea of spending something like a uh, well, it was like two or three thousand dollars, I think, for a for a fancy inverter generator. And so, uh, you know, like, and I already have a hookup in the fuse box to plug it in, and you know, I could power whatever portions of the house I wanted. I, it, this is like the bug out bag, but even more expensive, right? Because I really, really want to get this like three thousand dollar generator just so I know that I will never have the problem. But then it's exactly what you were saying earlier, Marco. Then I'm just like fantasizing about the power going out. Like, ooh, maybe tonight's the night. Ooh, it's getting windy. It's getting windy. (laughs) Should I go get the generator ready? It is so silly. Like, I haven't bought it because I know deep down it's a complete waste of money, especially since we have relatives so close. But... Oh, I want it.
2: That's the thing. Like, if you're actually losing power so incredibly frequently that this thing would would like pay for itself, that's that's one thing. But the reality is, like, in most most places around here, like, you know, where you live too, I'm sure, like, you lose power so infrequently and for such short periods that, like, right, right. Worst case scenario, if you lose power and you like can't stay in your house and maybe it's like in the middle of winter and it's really cold outside or something like that So like it's kind of you know so you kind of need heat to stay in your house and you don't have it and it's too cold to just put on sweaters and blankets and everything and you can't get space heaters and all this other stuff then it's like okay well then you know get in your car and drive somewhere like drive as far away as you need to to get a hotel room yeah how much does that cost for like the one time every 10 years that you'll need to do that versus, like, what it costs to get a generator installed. <laughs> they, they should sell people just empty
1: metal shells. Like, they would never know, right? Just, like, selling this <laughs> thing and it just makes noise and it's very heavy right? because, like, it just sits in your house and rots, right? It's just it's waiting out there. You're hoping it's not just, like, rusting or whatever.
2: <laughs> well, it does more than that. Like, I, I know my, my in-laws have one, and every, I think once a week it does a self-test. You know, you have this massive, you know, gas engine thing that once a week goes... Argh! for like, you know, 15 minutes yep, while it yep, self-tests yep. itself. Like, it, this, the, these things aren't without their downsides, right? Yeah. Like, that's the thing that you have to get installed, get periodically maintained or serviced. You know, it's very intrusive, invasive. It takes space out of your yard or out of your house or whatever, like, you know, it isn't like a it isn't like a small deal, and it's for a benefit that you probably will never need, or you would need once every ten years, but then you could just go to the hotel room somewhere and, and like for way less money, and not having that you know noise and space and giant thing sitting in your yard for the last decade
0: it's not unusual for us to go to Aaron's mom's uh on a Sunday afternoon and that's when her whole home generator decides to do its self test and it is exactly what you described it's extraordinarily loud it runs for like 10 ish minutes and it's very random and so every time I'm like what what, what? oh right uh and it just freaks me out every time and and it's it's not a big deal like it in the grand scheme of things it Helps her because she is she's not remote by any reasonable definition of the word, but she's remote enough that power does go out for her, you know, periodically. And so it does make sense for her to have it. But yeah, for us, where most of the electric lines, not, you know, near-ish us, are in ground, and the one tree that kept knocking out our neighborhood's power uh, during, you know, in the outside, in the above ground section has been trimmed back a couple of years ago, and ever since that tree got trimmed, it has been pretty reliable here. But it was just a few years ago, I don't remember exactly when, I want to say, actually it was probably six or seven years ago, that one hurricane came through Richmond, and Uh, The south side of Richmond, which is not where I am, don't be creepy, they were without power for as much as two weeks, and that was surprising. And we knew the hurricane was coming. Like, it wasn't that much of a surprise that it was coming, but it it brought far more damage than anyone expected and so we were fine this is when we did have a generator that has since uh, died but um we we had i think didn't have power for like 2 or 3 days or something like that and like i said the the other side of richmond didn't have it for as much as 2 weeks and it was it was something else like it was intense for a while
2: but even then like i feel like the the solution you know we are fortunate that we have some disposable income, yeah. right? And so, like, I think the solution is very clearly, like, just apply money to this problem until it goes away. Like, when it, when it happens, if it happens, right? So, like, like, you know, my car can go 300 miles from my house before I have to stop anywhere. So, if anything ever happens to the area that I'm in, I can put my family in my car – and drive somewhere up to 300 miles away where I can get a hotel room. I'm sure I know the local hotels are probably going to be very crowded, but I'm sure within 300 miles I can find a room.
0: But if you if you had that kind of a problem, though, wouldn't you take the BMW rather than the Tesla? Why on earth would you take the Tesla?
2: Because I can plug it in anywhere and it will already be full. It will already, at all times, have that 300-mile range, whereas the BMW might have a quarter tank of gas in it. I don't know. Sure, but... You can't guarantee, like, any given day that the BMW is going to be full. And that makes sense. Whereas you know the Tesla is going to be full. And
0: I agree with you, but don't you think if you, if there was a risk of a hurricane, you know, hitting the New York or whatever, you know, or a blizzard hitting the New York area, don't you think you would go and fill the BMW if it was really that much of a, of a problem? Because if it were me and I had a, a you know, Dino Juice car and a Zap Zap car sitting in the garage i would absolutely choose the bmw just because of the convenience of being able to fill up just about anywhere without having to worry about power
1: plus you can relive mad max a movie that neither of you saw
0: probably. i saw fury road
1: right i meant the original anyway if,
2: if there is a severe natural disaster there it's more likely to be really hard to get gas than electricity like if around around here like you know it, with u.s infrastructure and everything there's frequently, like, you know, runs on gas stations before major hurricanes, or where like you just you can't get gas. You have to wait in very long lines to get gas. If everyone, because everyone else has the same idea, oh, I better fill up my car, right? Like before any kind of major hurricane, it's actually very hard to get gas around here. Whereas, like, you can almost always find power somewhere, either in your house or if you have lost power, like within 300 miles, it's probably easier to find power than gas during a natural disaster. Honestly.
0: I want to argue with you, but I don't know enough about this to be able to make any sort of compelling argument. That's all right.
2: This episode is brought to you by Squarespace. Start building your website today at squarespace.com slash ATP and enter offer code ATP at checkout to get 10% off. Make your next move with a beautiful website from Squarespace. Now these days, Everything needs a website. It's table stakes. No matter what you're doing, a new business or a new hobby, or even just a website for yourself to show off your portfolio or whatever else, you need a website for pretty much everything these days. And a lot of times website host- hosting in the past has been difficult. You've had to like get your own server, install some package on it, keep it updated, keep it running, keep it up. Like its It was really hard in the past, and Squarespace makes all of that super easy. And even if you're making a more complex kind of site, something like a storefront. Squarespace has digital or physical storefront hosting built into all their plans. If you want to host a podcast, you can do that on Squarespace too. Just as easy as any other site. And of course, all the basics are there too. They have great support. They take care of updates and uptime and support and all that stuff for you so you don't have to worry about it. You focus on making your site with their intuitive, easy-to-use tools. You don't have to have any coding experience or technical know-how to use Squarespace. It's wonderful. If you're up site for somebody else squarespace is a great option there too because then when they need support they can go to squarespace and not you so it's wonderful whether you're making a site for yourself or someone else now you can get started today at squarespace.com atp start building your website with a free trial with no credit card required When you decide to sign up, make sure to head back there, squarespace.com slash ATP, and use offer code ATP to get 10% off your first purchase. Once again, squarespace.com slash ATP, code ATP for 10% off your first purchase. Make your next move with a beautiful website from Squarespace.
0: All right. uh, First and foremost, uh, I need to remind you. No, I'm just kidding. We're all done with that. Don't worry. Uh, Thank you, everyone who bought shirts and hats and polos and sweatshirts and everything else. Uh, Really and truly from the bottom of our hearts, we really appreciate it. Um, I would like to just uh, vindicate myself. Is that the word I'm looking for? I don't know. Whatever. I'd just like to congratulate myself that within, I think, an hour or two of the sales closing at Cotton Bureau, we got tweets from people saying, oh, God, I forgot. Is there anything I can do? (laughs) Uh, you guys think i'm just saying that to be jerk you know to be a big jerk you think i'm saying that to be mean oh no it was within an hour or two that there were poor people and i mean that genuinely that you know these people were upset and I, i do feel bad for them but that's why we reminded you so anyway thank you everyone who uh bought shirts and hats and everything else Uh, I really, uh, and I know my two co-hosts really do appreciate it, and I am super amped to hopefully see some of this walking around the San Jose area uh, in just a couple of weeks, actually. It's coming up real soon.
1: Yeah, thanks, everybody. I wondered if Casey would find a way to get mad at listeners again, even though the sale was over, and he found a way.
0: (laughs) That's what (laughs) I Why don't you
1: stop yelling at them? They just want to, you know, they're just buying merchandise. You don't have to yell at them every week to shame them for not buying
0: in time. I don't know. Which one of us is bad cop and which one of us is good cop? You're
1: you're the bad cop. I'm trying to be the good cop here. (laughs) Thanks thanks for buying our stuff. Um, (laughs) Hope you like it. I'm not going to be mean to you and, and yell at you.
0: Hey. Sometimes you need some tough love. Uh, I do want to congratulate a certain co-host of mine, even though he is being bad cop, and say that... You're the
1: bad cop. I was the bad cop.
0: No, no, whatever. Uh, It's really just like wrecked (laughs) gifts. Anyway, um, I would like to congratulate John for his very amusing, uh, what you have put in the show notes, as frame game fun, which, uh, if you don't follow John on Twitter, first of all, you're making a mistake. But second of all, um, John was giving away uh, codes for free T-shirts... And the way he was doing this was by putting increasingly, or I guess decreasingly, whatever, smaller and smaller photos or, or clips of frames of movies uh, into tweets and saying the first person to correctly identify them uh, will win a free t-shirt code. And I didn't know most of these movies. Yeah, I the don't contest think, is not for you, too. I obviously. Know, I know. <laughs> And even the one, like, you had Jurassic Park at one point. Don't don't ruin the surprise. Oh, sorry. You had something at one point that I had seen. Once I saw the full frame, I was like, oh, 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 okay, that makes sense. But, man, just looking at each of these pictures individually, I didn't have the faintest idea. I presume, Marco, you were also clueless?
2: I, I recognized zero of them, to nobody's surprise.
0: Yep, same story here. Yeah, so uh,
1: we, we get these codes, and, like, we, you know, you want to give them away to fans, right, because what else are you going to do with them? Uh, but you want to try to make it fun or yeah you know, i don't know I, I i've tried a whole bunch of different ways i used to do like trivia questions where the answer was like take the first letter of the first word and the last letter of the last word and then those are two characters that you replace in the promo code so i would pay, i would put in the promo code with a bunch of x's and you know um and then i would just there would be like trivia questions or whatever but it's really really hard to ask anything especially trivia questions or tech questions that people can't google for in two seconds and i always wanted the person who won it to be somebody who knew something not somebody who was as good at googling and so of course i try to google them myself before i did them but it's really it's just lots of really fun interesting questions you realize oh they can google that in two seconds so everyone's you know in fact if you google it, you might get it before someone who was like oh it's on the tip of my tongue what's that thing so i tried a couple different things this time one of them was doing drawings like i actually took out my apple pencil and drew something on my (laughs) ipad and said like identify this thing that i drew because if you take a a photo of a regular thing people can just do like a reverse google image search and find similar pictures um and it tells them what it is but if you do a line drawing all google finds is just a bunch of other line drawings that are totally unrelated except that they're white backgrounds with black lines so i did that and that worked but i really didn't have any more ideas about things i could draw um so I came up with the the frame game thing, where it, I think it mostly worked for the intended purpose I'm taking you know a frame of a movie, and I'm taking a very very small portion of it, like incredibly small. But it's not randomly chosen. If it was like a computer that said here's here's a movie, pick a random frame and then pick a random square that's like you know a centimeter by a centimeter, nobody would get it, because given a random section of a random frame. It could be anything. It could be like a, a piece of blue sky or a green leaf, how you can identify the movie, right? So the whole, the whole point of the game is I would try to pick the smallest piece that I could, but strategically chosen from a frame that is significant, from a movie that I think people will know, and from from a portion of that frame that I think will evoke the movie. Um, so one of them, I mean, in case you already run it before, the Jurassic Park one, It's it's an iconic scene from the movie, Uh, and if you see a portion of it, you can mostly tell what it is because it's like some kind of scaly skin. It was a dinosaur surprise. And then some sort of like man-made lines, like a thin white line, then a black field, and then a thing with a red with a little lighter thing around it. But it's a particular color scheme. Just that portion of colors next to something that looks like dinosaur skin should bring to mind that scene. And sure enough, from this picture, it looks like nothing you know, instantly people get it. They're just like, oh, Jurassic Park. You know, like I, I post a thing and then like I refresh my Twitter client and there's the answer. Like I just scroll like a little bit and there's the answer. So people were getting them really, really fast. Um, I, the, I think the best one was the one I have in, in the show notes, if you guys can look at it on the left. It's like a smudgy orange square with some black stuff on it. <laughs> and the best thing about that one, <laughs> the best thing about that one is that it's one of those things where out of context, like especially if surrounded with like a white background, it just looks like nothing. It looks like mud, right? Uh, but if you see the full frame, that part that I'm showing you is like the the brightest part of the frame. You know, you would think it's basically like the sky and sunlight. But taken, it's like when you do that optical illusion and you're like, these two things are the same color. And you're like, no way, they're not the same color. And then you take <laughs> like a little piece of paper that just has a hole punched out of it and you just put the little piece of paper so you can just see that region. And then you slide it over so you can see the other region. You're like, oh. I see. Without the surrounding stuff, they totally are the same color. Anyway, that one was great because if you don't know the movie and don't, you know, know why it's famous, you would never get it, but people got it instantly. I think there was only one that really stumped people and that was where I I misdirected by grabbing a portion of a frame that had a thing that's like, it was in the background. That's kind of mean, but I figured people might have noticed (laughs) it in the background, but they didn't. But, you know, people got all of them eventually and The thing is, you can't really Google them. If you try to Google image search and any of these little snippets, you come up with nothing. Uh, So I enjoyed that, and I think I'm going to do it more in the future uh, unless someone can come up with some other way to defeat Google while also rewarding people for obscure pop culture and or tech knowledge.
0: Yeah, I I thought it was a very clever way of doing it, and I was enjoying just watching along with the whole thing. Um, But, yeah, most of these, I didn't have a clue what they were.
1: Oh, the earring one was good too. like I, I did lots of eyeballs and stuff, um, but then I did one that was showing like someone's ear with an earring in it, and it was like the you know the show thing. after all, how often do you look at a woman's earring? like you there are <laughs> lots of famous scenes where you're like, oh, I know that person, I know that actor, I know this famous scene, but do you know what earrings they were wearing? If I just put the earring and the ear up there instant instantly people got it. People are amazing. It was someone was doing like should be like the collective wisdom of people on the internet versus the world's most powerful AI. And uh, I think the internet would give them a run for the money. I
0: was having a conversation with with somebody once. Um, There's a subreddit or something like that where you can put up a picture of something somewhere. And it can be as obscure as like a portion of a carpet of a hotel And the whole like shtick or game of this subreddit is to try to determine where on the planet that picture was taken. And according to whoever it was that was telling me this story, uh, it was stupefying how accurate these people can get. Like, based on just infinitesimally small pieces of information, they can find exactly like which room of a hotel somebody was in or something like that. Maybe I'm exaggerating some, but you get the point I'm driving at. It's just, it is unreal what the hive mind of the internet when it puts its hive mind together can can do it's just tremendous all right uh just earlier today i believe it was we heard some news from apple with regard to intel cpu vulnerabilities and i forget the the like marketing names for these things but this was the thing zombie land or something yeah but this was the thing with the uh, predictive execution is that right
1: it's another
2: one like that it's a new one but it's along, along the same vein. yeah similar to meltdown and yeah yeah, 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 yeah. Spectre, Spectre, that's it, yeah. Yeah, very similar to those where basically it's exploiting uh, some of the side effects of predictive execution and faults and stuff the way Intel CPUs work. Uh, John, so I I actually, I tried to read the paper right before we started here and I I honestly had a hard time (laughs) figuring it out. Um, John, did you actually have a better understanding of this? I didn't
1: put it in here for us to dive into the nitty-gritty details just to like think about the you know to revisit this topic because we talked about it more last time you know there's situations where intel cpus where you, if you can get them to run anything you can read information that you weren't supposed to be able to read based on the effect of you running your thing like whether it's timing or like you know like i said faults or other other things like the side effects of what you're running let you determine something about the world and once you have a tiny little tool like this like well if i do this in just this right way and either look for this side effect or check this timing, I can tell whether uh, the first bit of this thing that I'm not supposed to be able to read is a 1 or a 0. And then if I do it a certain other way, I can tell the second bit and the third bit and the fourth bit, and then your computers are great at doing stuff repeatedly, then you're off to the races, and now you're reading bits of information that you weren't supposed to be able to see, which are probably mostly garbage, but if, but you just keep running it and just read everything that's in there, and eventually you can start to extract interesting information that might be in memory or in caches or whatever. Um, and this has plagued the Intel CPUs for a little while now. And the first time it went around, it was like, okay, well, Intel CPUs have this problem. Um, but the ARM CPUs that Apple uses in its phones don't because ARM CPUs are the ARM CPUs Apple's using are generally simpler and didn't have the same speculative execution logic or didn't have hyper threading or like, you know, we're basically like the, the features that were being exploited didn't exist in the ARM CPUs. Uh, now this one, I assume... Is the same type of deal, like where people say, oh, well, you know, this is why Apple should switch to ARM because they wouldn't have to deal with all these Intel problems. And there's two parts to that. Uh, one is that there, there's always fixes for these things of like uh, change something about either the operating system or the microcode in the CPU to to avoid the situation. But those solutions are getting increasingly onerous. They were already kind of onerous with the, the Meltdown Inspector thing. But now for this one, Apple has a, a support article that explains what to do to avoid this and it's like turn off hyper threading on your cpu right? <laughs> that'll do it if if they're exploiting some aspects of hyper threading you can just turn it off it'll be fine but turning off hyper threading is bad in apple's document they're saying uh you know this is straight from their thing test testing conducted by apple in may of 2019 showed as much as a 40 reduction in performance this is apple saying this this is not like a sensational site saying oh my goodness 40 reduction in performance as much as sure as much as a 40 percent anyway That's bad. Uh, The whole point of using Intel CPU is because it has all these features to make them faster. If you have to disable those features for security to make them slower, that's bad. Um, Now, I don't know if Apple's latest and greatest ARM CPUs have similar features that could be similarly exploited. This paper isn't focusing on ARM. For all we know, there could be a paper that comes out next week or next month or next year on how to exploit similar things in, in the most advanced ARM CPUs that either exist already or are going to exist. So it's not like ARM is magically amused, uh, immune because it starts with a different letter or because it's got the Apple magic. <laughs> um, but both Intel and Apple are now well aware of this type of problem, and presumably in all their new and upcoming CPUs, they're trying to address it as best they can. Uh, but I, you know, I think this is interesting in that it's just another nudge in in the direction of uh getting apple off intel again not because arm cpus are magically great but because if an apple cpu has this problem i bet apple feels better about it than if intel does because apple is highly motivated to fix its own cpus for its own products and intel is slightly less motivated it's more motivated about protecting its business and all this other stuff and maybe doesn't view apple as an important customer if it knows they're already going to bail you know this is why apple wants to uh own control the core technologies blah 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 um and the other thing uh, that i want to talk about this is i think i saw a couple of things like well, this is you know if, if you're executing code it can do all this stuff and get it all your memory but just don't run any uh any strange programs in your computer and you'll be fine like it's not a you know it's not a thing that someone can use to break into your computer but as far as i'm aware and, and again this would have you know i don't know if you saw it in the, when you were looking at the paper marco that you just need to execute anything on the cpu So one thing (laughs) that we execute on our CPU all day long is JavaScript in web pages. And I think a lot of these papers, perhaps also including this one, have a demonstration of the exploit using JavaScript on a web page. And so, yeah, it's not like you have to download a piece of malware. I'm not sure if it's this one or, or the other things, but if you can just run JavaScript and exploit this, that's really bad. That's really, really bad. Now, there are no, to be clear, as they point out, there are no exploits in the wild that do anything with this. And just because you can read this information, you'd have to do a lot of reading and And transmitting that back to something they can process it and figure it out. And like it's it's a a little bit of a road from this exploit to breaking into someone's computer, but it's not that long of a road because as we browse the web, uh on our computers with Intel CPUs, we're executing JavaScript all day long. And those that JavaScript could be mining for bitcoins or it could be searching our memory for encryption keys or who knows what it's doing. So I'm as these stories come out, I think a lot of you know if if you're not a tech nerd and not following these things, you might be, you might not know about them, but if you, but if you know a little bit, you'd be like, what, what can I do? What, what should I do to protect myself against this? And the answer is like, it's not much you can do. Like you can do what's in the Apple support article. They have you boot your computer with some NVRAM args that, that slow your CPU way down by disabling features. You could do that, but does that kind of protect you? Or is that just going to protect against this particular bug and you're just waiting for the next one? Like it's one of those situations where it's bad, and there's not really much we could do about it except not use our computers with intel cpus i suppose or hope there aren't similar exploits to arm ones i feel like this is i think we said this last time it's worse than heartbleed because at least heartbleed you could patch a buggy piece of software everywhere and even that was a pain this is like a, a hardware problem and you can't really change the hardware that's in all of our computers other than disabling features and even that might be complete protection so i my i don't have any good advice for people like i'm i'm not going to recommend everyone slow down their cpus but i'm also not going to say that you're safe because you're not and we're not so i guess we'll all just uh hang on here and wait for the new products with new cpus that avoid this well actually i don't have to worry because all these bugs only only apply to cpus made after 2011 so i'm actually oh, safe God. <laughs> but <laughs> cuz my 2008 oh, your, mac pro your
2: computer is so
1: primitive <laughs> And it has none of these. There's no hyperthreading. <laughs> yeah,
0: oh
1: it gosh. does have speculative execution, but apparently, uh, no hackers can't be bothered to find exploits in 2008 CPUs. So, if you're using a 10 year old computer like me, you're actually safe. But everyone else should be real worried. Well, except isn't your software probably riddled with vulnerabilities that are no longer being nah, patched? Nah, that's fine. I mean, I have the latest Safari and everything. Like, it. everything's <laughs> fine. Yeah, are you sure. sure? <laughs> I think I do. Let me see. What, what is the latest Safari? Everyone go to your uh, About Safari window.
0: Why don't you tell us what you have before we tell you, and you're like, oh, yeah, 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 totally. I have a 11.1.2. I have 12.1, 14.607.1.40.1.4. Point 1, point
2: point 1, right, well, I, I don't have the newest, but I'm not, I, I think they're
1: still doing security patches. Oh, 11. yeah, funny how the story <laughs> changes. Well,
0: it's not the newest. I new, have the newest, newest
1: Safari. Well, it's almost the newest. Well, you know what I mean? Like, they might still be updating. I think they are still security patching the 11 <laughs> version. So. Uh-huh. I do have a software update pending. I should see what that is. Oh, my word. I was about to go to system preferences, but that's not where the software updates are in this operating system. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, my God. (laughs) Oh, no, it's just the Kindle app updating. Never mind.
0: John, uh, you know, I really, I'm not sure my body is really ready for the 14 straight episodes that we spend talking about whatever Mac Pro is released, either loving it, hating it, critiquing it, being hypercritical about it, whatever. But at this point, your computer is so ancient that I am willing to take the fall for you, John, and deal with these 14 straight episodes of nothing but Mac Pro. Just so you have something built this millennium.
1: <laughs> I don't I don't think it'll be that many episodes, but the, the oh, real okay. problem is it the real problem is after Marco buys it, you have to get like so we'll buy we'll talk about it. Then we'll buy it and we'll talk about how he bought it. All right. And then Marco will talk about uh, some weird problem that he has with it, and then Marco will talk about his disillusionment with it, and then Marco will talk about why he sold it and replaced <laughs> it with something. Whereas I won't say anything else after it, after I get through the initial like stuff. I'm hoping, anyway.
0: That's possibly true. I will I will concede that much. So
1: Marco, you're going to have to deal with more, uh, more Mac Pro talk from Marco in the long term.
0: <laughs> That's probably <laughs> and Like true,
1: the case right? he buys for it, like the backpack he puts it in.
0: Mm-hmm, how mm-hmm. it doesn't
1: work with his weird Microsoft keyboard. Yeah. How we can't plug in his amps. <laughs>
2: <laughs> we are sponsored this week by Marine Layer. For 15% off your first order, visit MarineLayer.com and enter promo code ATP15 at checkout. Marine Layer makes really nice clothing, and they really specialize in softness. When they say their stuff is soft, they really mean it. It's not just like, oh, that's that's nice. You know, you forget about it instantly kind of soft. It is like, wow how did they make this even this soft i'm never taking it off like that's how soft it is so it turns out the softest t-shirts are made from trees micromodal which is found in marine layer's signature fabric is made from recycled beechwood. wood the pulp production is self-sufficient which makes their teas sustainable eco-friendly and incredibly soft i gotta say when we first did uh marine layer sponsorships maybe about three four months ago i had just gotten their stuff and i was impressed i'm like okay this is soft but i thought like you know, how soft is it really going to be after a few washes? Well, they've been in my regular rotation now. I've, I've heavily worn the t-shirts I got from them at like, you know, three, four months ago, and they are still remarkably soft. I am shocked at the level of softness, durability, I guess if that's a thing that you get out of, out of Marine Layer's clothes. They're amazing. They're also just easy to shop with. Their return policy is insanely good. You can return pretty much anything for up to a year, so they really stand by their clothes. You get free shipping and free returns on all U.S. orders. And they even, on some of their most popular stuff, they even make in-between sizes, like between medium and large, they make a marge. And between large and XL, there's a larger Because, you know, sometimes you're in between sizes. It's wonderful. Check out Marine Layer. It is an amazing storefront for amazing clothes. They're incredibly soft, and it's super easy to order from them. So check it out today, MarineLayer.com. And you can get 15% off your first order by using promo code ATP15 at checkout. Thank you so much to Marine Layer for sponsoring our show.
0: Steve Trout and Smith had an interesting tidbit. This is actually a few weeks ago now, I think, about uh, Mac OS 1015, which is the forthcoming version, house cleaning. And so his tweet reads, dashboard isn't the only thing gone in 10.15. Sorry, John. So is 32-bit app and plugin support, Carbon, Inc., QuickTime 7 and QuickTime plugins. Sorry, John. PPTP, which is a VPN protocol that I guess is really insecure, but is very convenient. And hardware RAID. But you will get Python 3.7, Ruby 2.6 at least, says Steve. Uh, I don't really have a whole lot to say about this other than I am surprised some of this stuff lasted as long as it did.
1: Did anyone else know that ink ink was still in there?
2: I knew it was in there, but I've never actually seen or used it. The last time I saw or used
1: it is when I wrote about it in a Mac OS X review. (laughs) (laughs) Honestly, if you ask me now, I don't even remember how to find it. Uh, But it's still in the operating system right now. Yeah, This this looks like uh, the 64-bit transition was a good time to kind of clean house and get rid of old stuff, but they didn't deprecate the 32-bit. So this is... This is kind of like the other shoe dropping on the 64 bit transition for the Mac, which so long ago, most of us barely remember it. So, yep, we went 64 bit. Uh, and then eventually, all that 32 bit stuff's not going to run. And that's not a problem if that stuff was also updated to 32 bit, but everything updated to 64 rather. But everything that wasn't updated to 64 bit is stuff that Apple doesn't want anymore. So, quick time not updated because it's not going to continue hardware rate i guess they're not into it anymore you know carbon already we know didn't get 64 bit famously a while back um dashboard i mean that should just go away period like it, i say this is something you dashboard use it every day i'd use it every day but like it's it's obviously not maintained in any, any possible way it's only been getting buggier over time so it's like well if you're not gonna keep developing that software don't keep including it with the operating system Um, And I don't know if there's a 32 or 64-bit issue there, but this could be uh, one of the big Mac operating systems to leave behind a lot of stuff. Um, And I'm hoping there'll be some way to like run VMs or something to be able to access old software that you need to just use briefly for some reason or another, even if it's just, I don't know what I'm going to replace QuickTime 7 with. I mean, you know. FFMPEG? Maybe, maybe. Like I'll end up just googling and searching Stack Overflow for ffmpeg incantation strings, but I don't. That's not.
2: Isn't that I the UI to ffmpeg? <laughs> <sighs> I know. Pretty much. Um,
0: hey man, I have I have a whole folder in notes that's all like my recipe book for, FF, for ffmpeg, and it has saved me. Countless hours, because a lot of this over time I've learned, but there's a lot that it's it's literally like casting a spell, and so having this like series of of examples and whatnot in in my notes app is has really saved me.
2: Yeah, but in the process of saving you countless hours, how many hours has it taken to figure out the correct commands the first time? Oh, totally.
0: Exactly right. Yeah, it's many, many,
1: many hours. I don't really use uh, QuickTime Player Seven for too much like it does much more than i use it for and for, for people who don't know who haven't been long-time mac users and they think all quicktime 7 does is like save in different formats or something or have, and have a plugin structure so you can play different formats it does that but it also lets you arbitrarily cut copy and paste sections of media not with a particularly nice interface but it lets you do it it doesn't just let you like the the replacement that uses av foundation it doesn't just let you trim the ends it lets you cut copy and paste anywhere in there you can paste one track on top of another track and overlay them. So you can add a new soundtrack to a portion of a thing. Like you don't have to just append or like slice in the middle and, and insert. You can extract tracks and save them out into separate files and then copy and paste from them. Like it's it's like a kind of like a blind video editor where you don't get the you know a iMovie or Final Cut Pro style timeline. You just get a single bar with regions on it. But you can do a surprising amount of things. And but mostly what I use it for is to to extract tracks and to change formats. So I could probably use ffmpeg for that. But really, it's a nice player. The controls don't float over the movie, so you can see the movie and go a frame at a time when you're watching this the Star Wars trailer for the 19th time. Sorry, the Star Wars teaser, because I don't watch the trailers. Um, <laughs> and, uh, you know, it's brush metal and it's silly and all that stuff, but I'll miss it. And I have a bunch of plugins that let you play stuff. Um, from the playback front, I think this is a good time to talk about alternatives to QuickTime Player 10X, whatever, just for playing stuff, like forget about uh, all the other features I talked about. Because QuickTime 7, with a whole bunch of plugins, could play almost any format. And since that's going away, if you just left with the QuickTime Player 10 or X, it can only play like the handful of formats that AV Foundation deals with, and not all these weird, obscure formats and container formats that we might want to play. Uh, you can use FFmpeg to transform them. But who wants to transcode things? Casey does.
0: You know, first of all, yes, I love transcoding. It's my favorite thing to do. <laughs> but, uh, but second of all, you can use FF Play, which is a truly awful way to just play stuff that that FFmpeg can read. But that is not the spirit of what you're after. And I think the spirit of what you're after is, I don't know how to pronounce this, but I-I-N-A, yes. which is basically just a GUI front end to FFmpeg as far as I'm aware.
1: I'm not sure what the guts are, but the app itself, uh, I mean, it's not particularly Mac-like, but it has it has enough of my minimum set of features. Yeah, I don't know how to pronounce it either, but uh, it's nice because it's quick to uh, command space to, because not many other applications begin with a double I. Um, but the UI is just like a little rectangle. I think it might have rounded corners, which I don't like, but anyway. And it plays the video, uh, but it's got lots of options, and... It uh, has so many options that it lets you like export a config file with all your preferences (laughs) so you don't have to reset them elsewhere, which is, like I said, not very (laughs) Mac-like. That's amazing. Uh, But the most important thing it has, like out of the box, uh, like a lot of other video players, it doesn't do what I want in terms of uh, navigating the video. What I want is spacebar to play pause, which it does, but then I want the left and right arrow keys to go a frame at a time. And very often the app will decide, oh, the right arrow key is skip forward five seconds. The left arrow key is skip back one second. I don't want that. I want a single frame. Well, in this app, I I A N A whatever the hell it's called, you can just change the configuration and say, I want the right arrow key to be move forward one frame, which is probably some FFmpeg command that it's sending on the scenes or whatever. And it does it. And so you can just set it up the way you want it. And it plays movies and you can scale them at different sizes and it plays every format you can throw at it and every container format i've thrown at it and it does a fine job uh so that is my current replacement for playback and my current replacement for editing is nothing is is casey i guess it's <laughs> casey's <laughs> fmpeg file <laughs> uh, and iMovie i suppose but honestly i really iMovie has very limited options and i don't have a working copy do i have work i might have final cut pro 4 but i don't think it still runs um uh, I'm probably going to end up buying Final Cut in the 64-bit era if I can't do basic video editing anymore, but I'm holding off on that.
2: Can, can I put out a request for to, to the audience? I, I have a quest that I don't want to undertake myself. I'm hoping the audience can do this for me. What I want that I haven't been able to find in my admittedly zero research is like every video editing app out there, from the simple to the complex, like from, from Apple's built-in stuff... All the way to things like Final Cut and, and beyond. Every video editing app seems to want to put you into this project workflow where, like, to do anything to a video, you have to first make it into a project mm, and then mm-hmm. it copies the file God knows where and takes up God knows how much disk space. And you, it, it, you need to then create an event within the project. And it's like all that stuff. Like, I hate dealing with that kind of structure. Like, what I want. Is to occasionally make small edits to videos, like what QuickTime Player Seven would do. But even you know, even beyond that, a little bit if possible. So like, I want basically, I think like preview for videos, like the way preview allows you to make Ooh, small yeah, yeah, yeah. image edits. Mm-hmm. You know, like y- y- you know, just simple stuff like cropping, rotating. Like if I accidentally shoot a video and it's the wrong, the wrong orientation, let me rotate it. Like. The even the even Apple's built-in Photos app doesn't let you do that. Like, I uh, yeah, I couldn't find how to rotate a video in iMovie either. It's probably hiding in there somewhere, but
1: I it's not like, obvious.
2: What I want is a simple video app that lets you just open a video file, perform some basic operations, whether it's, you know, cropping, trimming, rotation, and not just ninety-degree rotation, like what if the video is tilted a little bit and i want and i want to rotate it like 3 degrees and you know crop into whatever can fit there ideally even basic color and exposure correction basic audio correction maybe like basic operations that you you might want to do to a video just open a video file perform those operations and save the file not adding it to any library or project in the process i want that to exist i don't know if it already does but i have yet to find it I have
1: that problem with uh, the size, like when I do my Destiny videos, I have gigs and gigs and gigs of video, and then I make like a three-minute video out of it. And I don't want those gigs of video hanging around, but I do want the original clips in the original format. So I would like to losslessly clip out just the parts that I have, like sort of do a, I think Final Cut used to have this feature, maybe it still does, where you tell it, okay, I'm done with the edit, discard any media not used in the edit but keep like all the media losslessly that contributes to the final thing, yes. so I can remake mm-hmm. videos that's interesting. I don't know if iMovie does that if it does, I don't know how to make it do it. so I just have my disc you know slowly filling with gigs of destiny videos, which is probably <laughs> probably untenable long term I mean that's why I, eventually i'm gonna have to get Final cut and learn how to use it in some way, but I'm holding off on that as long as I possibly can. I mean, I might as well wait until like the arm max come out and get the arm version of Final Cut, right. <laughs>
0: Something like that. I uh, mean, this actually does sound, Marco, exactly like what I would like for not, you know, the, the YouTube videos that I'm occasionally doing occasionally. But uh,
2: We're still telling ourselves that, huh?
0: Yeah, exactly. Um, but no, I, I would love this sort of thing, but I don't need a project right now. So stop trying to put bad thoughts in my head.
1: Yeah, iMovie, speaking of projects, iMovie is worse than even you described, Marco, where you have to make a project for stuff. Again, unless I haven't figured it out, iMovie uh you hit the little plus thing to make what is you know is going to be a new project and you get a little empty area and you can drag in clips and do all the stuff and so on and so forth but until you hit like the left arrow navigation like the back navigation in the upper left i can't figure out a way to name the project when you hit the little left arrow to go back to the project screen it says oh and by the way you should name this thing because it's called like my project until you go back so what I end up doing is I go into the project and then immediately go back so I get to name it and then go back in again. It's just it's a strange flow where it doesn't ask you what you want to call the thing until and it's auto I movies all autosave, right? It's like iOS style, so there's no saving or anything. So you are just they're working at it for a really long time and it's just called my movie for like the entire time you're doing it. Until <laughs> you until you're basically done and like, Oh yeah, I have to name this thing. It's <laughs> very strange. And again, not particularly Mac like. I see what they're going for. like most of the time I kind of like the autosave nature until I uh, get too bold with my undo redo you ever do that i do in text editors sometimes where you you know if if you're in a a good text editor i, I use kind of undo redo as fast forward and rewind so i will do a bunch of stuff and then i'll be like uh, did i forget something what was that like before and then i will just hold down undo for a while and watch my changes go burr, 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 rewind rewinding through history and rewinding through history and then What I'll do is I'll I'll get back to some state. I'm like, oh, yeah, this used to be like this, and uh, and I wanted that line. So I'll go grab that line and copy it, right? But if in the course of copying that thing, I, like, accidentally hit the space bar or hit the delete key or move the text or something.
2: Oh, then you've lost your undo history.
0: Oh, no. That's right.
1: Now I've hosed my undo history, and now I can't redo. I mean, I'm so paranoid I will have saved it, and I have my editor configured to save a backup copy every time i save so i've never actually lost stuff this way but it's, sometimes it's frustrating you, you blow your your redo stack because you're a, you're a 700 items back and undo because you've been holding it down for three seconds and now all that's gone and you have to go find that the save that you made just before you did the undo yeah i feel, I feel like that when i'm using any of these sort of auto save apps where i can undo and redo but i can't even revert to a previous version because there's no like there's no saving and if it did save, what would it save? Like to your point, Marco, like the project file, does that have all the media inside of it? Did it leave the media where it was? Is it just referencing it? Who the hell knows? Like my, my awareness of what iMovie is doing under the scenes is very low. All I know is that it needs lots of disk space.
0: All right. So we pourn one out for carbon for anything else. Oh anything yeah. I was thinking, about?
1: I think, yeah, the reason I was thinking about this is like what crap on all of our computers is going to break that we're not even thinking about. Like, I and mean, I suppose we could all run Activity Monitor and look at all the 32 bit apps, but what the one I was thinking about recently, I was actually kind of panicking about because I saw people fretting about Adobe like doubling the prices on their their subscriptions to their various apps because they can. Uh and I was like, Well, I don't have a subscription. I bought the last version of Photoshop that was a that you could like download that it was just like it will run by itself. I think it runs without a network connection. It's a uh, Adobe Photoshop CS six I bought because Uh, I was aware at the time that this is either it was probably or was known to be the last version that's not Creative Cloud infected and stuff. This is before they went super duper subscription for everything, I think. Um, I'm like, oh, my God, is is CS6 32-bit? As far as I can tell, it's (laughs) not. I think it is 64-bit, so I think I'm safe, but I'm paranoid about it breaking because, A, I don't want to buy Photoshop again. And, B, you can't even buy Photoshop anymore. As far as I can tell, you cannot buy Photoshop. You can just rent it uh, along with, like, a bunch of other apps that you don't want for like ten dollars a month and i love photoshop it's how i prefer to do any image editing uh just because i've been using it so long but i don't use it ten dollars a month worse i use it like (laughs) once every two months or something or like or or sometimes i'll use photoshop to crop something like just i'm just used to photoshop you could do that in preview there's no reason to use photoshop i have acorn i have all bunch of that why the hell am i using photoshop to crop something because i'm used to photoshop that's why i do it and so i'll be sad if i can't run it but i'm not going to pay ten dollars a month for it so i really hope csx keeps running but as far as i can tell other than all my old mac games breaking what else is new um i don't think i'm going to be missing any major piece of software what about you guys what do you think is going to break
0: nothing that i can think of i mean i'm
2: see i'm looking through my my system uh, information list of all the thirty-two bit apps uh, and and by the way, if, if anybody forgot, if you go to System Information under Software Applications, there is a column there called 64-bit parentheses Intel, and so you can see all the things and anything that says no in that column won't work in the next version of macOS. Uh, and for me, it's mostly just a whole bunch of ancient Adobe binaries from like old installations of Adobe stuff, but like not even not any not the apps, just like installers and utilities and stuff like that that happen to be you know dumped there. Uh, I don't. think think i'm going through that i don't think there's gonna there's anything here besides quicktime player seven that i ever actually launch
0: i have a ton of stuff which i didn't realize that is not 64-bit but as i'm looking through it it's like a a graveyard for all the abandoned ios projects i've done since literally 2011 (laughs) like all of this stuff is stuff that i haven't looked at in you know three, four, five, six, seven years. Uh, There's a whole bunch of copies of fast text apparently floating around somewhere on my drive um, that are not 64-bit. No way. Uh, There's a Google Talk plugin that I don't think exists anymore. Uh, The stuff that you were saying from Ecamm, um, that seems to be most of it. Uh, Unrar X, Unrar X, if you were to ever find something that falls off the back of a truck, which I would never do, uh, that is convenient. I'm sure there's something more modern and better now. Um, But yeah, that's about it for me.
1: Can't copy and paste from the system report window? That is not a good Mac app. <laughs> not a good... Anyway, I have a lot. I, have, oh, I think about half of the things listed in that little window... That's not surprising. ...are there, but, th- but it's... It's tons of crap. Stuff from Windows XP? Why the hell is it even showing that? It's probably like VMware exposing that, I suppose.
0: I would guess. <laughs> I is your processor 64-bit, on, or is it too old to be 64-bit? No, it's
1: 64. Uh, oh, Disco's not going to work anymore. Hmm. <laughs> the i the iWork tour oh wow WOC bingo app uh <laughs> halo halo's not gonna run it yeah all the games are gonna break obviously that that's probably gonna be the biggest loss not that i play mac games a lot but everyone's on why i launch one and play with it just those mac games are either made by porting companies that don't exist anymore or if they do exist there's no way they're gonna update them they're just there's never gonna be 64-bit ports of any of that stuff that's kind of sad. That's why I hope there's a, a VM solution or something like that cuz these games don't take a lot of power like they they could run fine in emulation, not emulation, but you know what I mean, in, in some kind of virtualized environment. I don't know. I, I don't even know if, uh, if VMs would target that type of scenario. On an OS doesn't allow 32-bit executables run a VM that can somehow run 32-bit. I don't even know if they can do that, but I hope somebody does something. Oh, iWeb, iWebs 32-bit. <laughs> The backup application. Remember that she had like a little umbrella when Apple made a backup application. <laughs> that was before
0: my time, I think. Yeah, yeah same.
1: Yeah, I mean, it's this is the type of thing where you can you can plan and you can think what's going to break. And I'm sure the Apple installer will have a stage that like tells you these are the apps that aren't going to run anymore. They tend to be pretty good about that. But at that point, like, what are you going to do? Stop the install? I mean, save a list of them. Take a screenshot. Take a picture of your screen with your phone to remember which applications. I mean, you'll find out when you. Kind of like I used to find out when I'd upgrade it to any of the versions. I upgrade to like Snow Leopard and half of my applications have like the circle with a line through it over the icon because they don't run on this version of the OS anymore. It's not because of any sort of bit transition. It's just like, nope, not compatible with this version of the OS at all. That happens all the time, but I feel like this is gonna be the big one. Right? And to be clear, I you know, I accept this as as a you have to do this every once in a while. You can't keep all the old software running forever. It's counterproductive. You just end up being Windows. So i think it's good to clean this stuff out i'm just it's an opportunity to find new interesting better alternatives like i'm i'm happy finding that Eno or whatever application because i'm glad someone's developing someone who has some of the similar values to me in terms of configurability and ui and feature set is making a video player for the mac it is not even marzipan like what's what's even going on when's the last time we saw a new mac app <laughs>
0: Real-time follow-up from a friend of the show, Steve Trouton-Smith. He posted to Twitter uh, a couple of weeks ago, which I did not notice or didn't remember. uh, There's a way to actually force your Mac to run only in 64-bit mode, which I haven't looked into the instructions yet, but we'll put a link in the show notes. So you could boot into this 64-bit only mode and see how many things fall apart to kind of get a taste for how screwed you are.
1: Yeah, it's not entirely representative because there's parts of the OS that are 32-bit that will presumably be ported, so you don't have to worry about them, but it'll be broken. But yeah, you can definitely find out which your apps aren't going to work. But like, part of it is which apps aren't going to work, and part of it is just to find out. Uh, which one of these developers is going to release 64-bit version, because I bet a lot of them are. Like, are some, you know, It's it's still a developed application, and they just never saw they need to be 64-bit, and they're going to release a 64-bit version, but they're not going to release it until they have to, essentially, until this OS is out for real. Um, So even if you find them, it doesn't mean for sure you're not going to be able to run it. Just maybe go to their website. See, the last time it was updated, send their support person an email and see if you get a response and say, so are you going to make a 64-bit version of this? And... If you don't get a reply, that probably means no.
0: Oh man, we'll see what happens. Hopefully, it won't be too bad, but I bet you there's going to be a lot of whining about random things that just stop working that nobody expected to stop working.
1: I'm kind and speaking of the end of this thing is about. uh, They're finally upgrading to a a more modern version of Python and Ruby. Uh, Command line stuff or other sort of. I mean, obviously the stuff with the ship is the operating system. That's fine, but if you're like me and compile a bunch of software out of the box, I think most of my compile stuff is 64 bit, but there's another situation where if there is anything built with 32-bit, it probably means that no one has bothered messing with it for such a long time that it just happens to build using, you know, Apple's GCC lookalike emulation in 32-bit mode. And when 64-bit comes, I mean, I guess you can can you still you could still compile 32-bit executable, I suppose, with uh, the GCC's cross-compile thing, but you can't run it. And uh, to answer the chat room's question, no, I'm not going to use Homebrew. I don't know. I think it'll work out. I wish, yeah. This is one of the few times that I wish. I don't wish I was still writing the reviews, but I wish I had already written the review because I would know the answer to a lot more of these questions. <laughs> nice. Because when you when you're forced to write the review, you're forced to learn the answer to all these questions. And now instead, I'm just asking the questions to the air,
2: and I got to read someone else's really big review. <laughs> We are sponsored this week by Linode, my favorite web host. You can get a server running in seconds with your choices of resources, distro, node location, and more. And they now have a new location. They are proud to announce their newest data center in Toronto, Canada. This is built using Linode's most up-to-date hardware and their next-generation network backbone. So Linode Toronto allows you to comply with in-country data protection requirements while taking advantage of all of Linode's technology and tools. Whatever you want to build, you can build it on Linode. You have dedicated CPU options available now. You have distributed application potential, hosted services, websites, CI and CD environments, which I bet Casey knows what that means. Or you can just run a big big web app like I do. I run all of Overcast there. It's wonderful. If you're a nerd and you need to run servers, you need Linode. All of their servers have native SSD storage. They're backed by a 40 gigabit network, industry-leading processors. I've personally been hosting there for eight years. This is longer than ATP has been running, long before they were a sponsor of this show, of course. I've been there for eight years because... It is simply the best host I have ever used. It's a wonderful value. It is, it is proven even over that entire eight-year time, there has never been a time when I've said, you know, I'm tempted to buy some other host because they're becoming a better value. No, it has never happened. In eight years, Linode has always been either matching or exceeding the best values in, in the business from anybody else. It's been wonderful. Their support is great, too. Their control panel is great, too. Everything you want out of a web host, Linode offers it and more linode.com slash ATP to see for yourself how awesome this web host is and use promo code ATP 2019 to get a $20 credit. And their plans start at just $5 a month. And so you can get four months free with that credit if you want to check it out. Linode.com slash ATP, my favorite web host. Thank you so much to Linode for sponsoring our show.
0: All right, let's move to Ask ATP, and we start with Alex White, who writes, I hear Syracuse say that he writes lots of code comments. Many coders today consider comments to be a quote-unquote code smell. That is to say, it's not good. What is John? Why does John think that they are valuable? And Alex wanted to chime in that they also think that they are valuable, for the record.
1: Uh, I mean, I, I suppose uh, Margaret probably doesn't have, to- too much experience with other programmers, so I'll ask. Maybe. <laughs> have, have you ever met someone who considers
0: comments to be a code smell? never no, I don't think so. Not that I can recall. I, I would presume at some point or another i I don't think I've heard anyone explicitly state. That they think it's a smell, but certainly by virtue of the lack of comments in their code, you could you can kind of uh, deduce that they think it's a bit of a smell. But uh, but no, I don't think I've ever seen anyone like thumping their chest saying this is this is gross, get it out of here.
2: I mean, I can I can guess the logic behind it. Yeah, like, yeah. If you figure like you know, it, there's I, I think there's two arguments against comments that, that I can think of. One would be the code should be self-documenting, and the second would be that comments don't update themselves when the code changes. And so if you like re factor or rewrite or change something you know there's a chance the comments could be out of date but besides those two things which aren't like massive problems i mean i don't write a ton of comments so it's not you know maybe i'm the wrong person to talk about this but i don't think comments indicate like technical debt or bad code smell or anything in and of themselves i think they they can reflect other problems maybe but you know the, the presence or absence of comments doesn't itself indicate much of anything
1: yeah the self-documenting thing is, is what well, i was thinking of is probably the strongest reason Then they're not updating stuff is like that uh, doesn't, doesn't make any sense like you control both of them so yeah they could get out of sync <laughs> but you could also have random lines of garbage code and dead code like is code a code smell anyway um <laughs> for for the self-documenting this gets into i was i was forced to try to explain this to my son because he's doing. Programming. I was trying to tell him how to write good comments. This is all just basic advice that you hear from when you're learning programming, but it's worth worth talking about for a non-programmer audience that may be listening to this and just about to fast forward. Hi, Jason, because we're talking about programming. <laughs> um, the, the self-documenting thing is like... It, it, the code should be obvious in itself. You shouldn't need a comment to explain it because if you have some code that's super clever and you need to write a thing about like, I know this, is this, you can't figure out what this is doing by looking at it, but let me explain. And that's a sign that you're being too clever for your own good. And there is definitely a too clever angle. But on the flip side of that, in terms of like documenting the code, self-documenting code, as in I can tell what that line is doing, is not really what comment, the purpose comments are supposed to serve so the canonical example of a bad comment that we've all seen is and i can't even use this in swift anymore i had to he was doing swift so i had to self-edit myself instead of saying i plus plus you can't do it anyway <laughs> like i i plus equals one or i plus plus or whatever you're taking a variable and you're incrementing if i want so you that would be Wait, the code why line. they
2: took out plus plus and swift
0: Oh, don't even been? get me started on this been, marco? marco don't even get <laughs> me started this <laughs> makes me so angry why
1: they didn't take it out. i don't think it was ever there
0: no it was there Oh, uh, it was it briefly i don't know I, mm-hmm. it was swift two it went uh, yeah, away three. It was early uh don't i i can't i i i can't handle this he, he can't he literally
2: can't even swift is such a dick it's just why
0: why does it <laughs> have
1: to be because. such a dick all the time because of, because of uh pre uh, post and increment and pre-increment anyway that's not the really just what we're talking about here the canonical example i'm going to use i plus to pretend we're objective c or c plus and the canonical example of a bad comment is add one to i like that's the comment <laughs>
2: right, right right
1: so that's for non-programmers you know plus plus means just take the variable and add one to it it's a short way of writing that right and if your comment says add one to i that is a useless garbage comment because anybody <laughs> who is a programmer knows what i plus plus does and you writing add one to i does not add any information whatsoever like it's just it's just noise it's forcing someone to read it before they get angry by the time they finish reading like oh great that doesn't help right so self-documenting code i plus plus arguably if you're an experienced programmer is self-documenting you look at it that's the whole line that's there's no other it's not in the middle of a big complicated expression it's just on a line by itself or i plus equals one or i equals i plus one it's self-documenting but what you write comments about is not what a of code is doing but i mean there's lots of things you write comments about but i'm, I'm starting at the, the, the micro level here it's why it's doing it uh, so to give an example this was i ran across this on the same day i was trying to explain comments to my son it was some actual coded work that i was looking at that someone else wrote and it was like if interval uh greater than one and uh value greater than equal threshold do whatever is a conditional in an if you look at that and you're like i know what all those operators mean i know what a greater than means i know what greater than or equals means the variables were named reasonably intervals like some interval the thing is taking place and threshold is like some value when it's whatever right you don't need to comment that it's it's it would be you know the com the stupid comment would be if interval is greater than one or if like you write the english version of it or if thre- if value is greater than or equal to threshold or whatever. Uh, anyway. But the question was, the, que- the question that a comment would need to explain here, and I think this is the, the annotation I added to the code review, was you should put a comment on this thing not explaining what the code does, but explaining why it's doing this. Uh, and in this case, it was like, the question is, why, why is it greater than or equal to instead of greater than? And why are you checking if the interval is greater than one? Like, why do you care if the interval is greater than one before you check the threshold, right? And now I more or less knew why, but that's the type of thing you put in a comment. It's like, well, if we if we do this for inter- for fractional intervals less than one, we, and because the conditional is greater than or equal to, and the thresholds are, are integers, but the but the interval is a float, you may end up ch- redoing this check multiple times per second because you'll check again every tenth of a second, but you you won't pass the threshold until you get to a certain point. You know what I mean? Like, I don't know, I, I'm I'm explaining it poorly, but like it's. It's more obvious if you're a programmer and have done stuff like this before, but the point is, that's what you write the comment about and explain, this isn't a mistake. I didn't accidentally put greater than or equal to. This comparison to the interval is not redundant code that is pointless because interval is always going to be greater than one. What you have to do is explain, the reason this is a double conditional is because in the situation, because one's an integer and one's a float, in the situation where this one is less than one, you don't want to check this multiple times because it would be inefficient. That's what you write in the comment. And that's like the lowest level comment I'm talking about, moving all the way up to, a comment about what the hell this function is supposed to do, broadly speaking. What arguments does it take? What return value does it have? What exceptions could it throw? And there's structured ways to do that depending on your language. Classes. What the hell's the point of this class? What is it supposed to do? What are its responsibilities, broadly speaking, right? In a, a large function, break it up into pieces. This is the part where we do the setup. This is the part where we do the work. This is the part where we do the cleanup. Like, that's what comments are for. They're not for tell me what this line of code does, right? It's about the why and about the The overall design the best comments you see like there's a lot of examples in apple's code where they'll do little ascii art diagrams of in-memory structures for nitty-gritty code that's doing like lots of bit slinging and stuff those are invaluable like the code is obvious look i'm just taking this pointer i'm iterating and like but show me show me the little rectangle show me the region show me how things are done right you can do surprisingly uh rich set of documentation just with little ascii symbols uh yeah so comments i think are super important doing good comments, writing good comments is a skill and it's difficult. And you know, the the first step in that journey is knowing not to write add one to I, Uh, but there are many, many steps after that. And I highly endorse getting good at writing comments.
0: Yeah, that was the thing I was going to say, which you eventually meandered toward, which was it's less about what and more about why. And I don't think I really ever, I don't think I had intuited that until somewhat recently. And sometimes I would describe what's happening when it was either a little bit clever or a little bit convoluted, which sometimes it's hard to distinguish between the two. And uh, it wasn't as often that I would be sure that i was describing the the why but that whenever i read that or heard that the first time may have been from you for all i know uh that really rocked my world in the best possible way and that that is what i would recommend is certainly there are times where describing what is important but it's you should start from the perspective of you know if i'm going to write a comment here i should describe why i wrote the code that follows or or above it or whatever
1: the dark version of that is if you work for a you know a jobby job for a big uh, corporation. Chances are good that a lot of the comments you write will explain, like, This is like this because previously, the previous version of this product did this. Mm -hmm. And when this person was here, he decided it wanted to be like this. So we did it like that. And if we ever change this thing, we can get rid of this. But for now, you have to leave it. Actually, don't delete this, even though it looks super dumb. We have to keep doing it this way. Here's a URL to something in our bug tracker. And if you check this part of the code in this file, and if it ever changes, you can go back and clean this up. Like historical documents because again that's you're never going to figure that out by looking at the code you're like if you just look at the code you're like this makes no sense you're like actually i know it seems nonsensical and it is bad but let me explain to you why it's bad and let me stop you from deleting it because if you delete it stuff will break and you might not realize that that's the i mean you don't feel good writing that comment but that's an important job of comments in a real in a real code base where you don't have the luxury of just making everything beautiful all the time
0: yep it is not often but there were definitely occasions where I was asked or or compelled or what have you to do something that seemed weird or I disagreed with or something like that or just seemed counterintuitive at first glance, even if I did agree with it. Uh, and I would definitely write, you know, this the following was decided because of such-and-such such conversation between me and such-and-such and such person on such-and-such such date, you know, with my name attached to it. So exactly what you said, you know, future me or future coworker or what have you, when they stumble on this and go, what then they can see the comment and say oh and and sometimes to your point john it'll be a link to like you know god god help me it was jira at my most recent job but you know a link to an issue tracker that says okay let me explain you know the the history here and what 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 was going through all of our minds at the time
1: yeah be careful with links though obviously if your company changes the issue tracker every three or four years then all those links break and yeah like i said the main thing i tend to end up commenting here is like future person which may be me at what point is it safe to undo or get rid of this hack what conditions must be met like this is gross Mm -hmm. this shouldn't be done this way we have to for some stupid reason that i will not document to tell when it's safe to fix this check this this and this and Mm -hmm. i found that very valuable as someone who's been at the same job for many years to for my past self to leave things like that and go oh i can delete this now because past me says it's okay and you still have to (laughs) figure out how to test it but it's much more reassuring than like can we change that Like, it explains this big, long-winded reason, but does that still apply? Is that still true of that other module? Yeah.
0: Yep. You know, I was thinking recently, this is a tangent, but I was thinking recently back to uh, when I worked at Northrop Grumman, and I was working on a code base that was very old, very, very old. It was a C plus C++ code base. Um, I don't know C++ very well anymore, and I don't recall exactly what the timeline was for all these things, but... I feel like it predated like the C++ uh, standard template library. So like strings were not something that existed in C++ when this app had started life. Well, anyway, I bring all this up to say it's a very old app and and I remember at the top of each and every file in in the entire app, and this was a big app, like a couple hundred thousand lines or something like that, um, at the top of every file, there was the entire change history, like all of the basically commit messages that you would add by hand and go through code well, review. And there was and get, some
1: other way to track that Yeah, exactly.
0: No, it's, I, I, and I know, and now I scoff at it, but at the time, it was actually pretty helpful because I forget what, uh, we were on the rational suite, I think, which was a complete piece of garbage at the time this was in 06 07 somewhere in that neck of the woods that's
1: great when your uh, version control system requires an installation of a kernel extension which rational clear case did at various points
0: <laughs> yeah so anyway uh but i just ref- I, just a few days ago i was reflecting on that and about how we would have like one or two hundred lines for some of these files, uh, you know, like the the string that was homebrewed, you know, for this project, that string file had like a hundred or two hundred lines of just version history and a huge ass comment all the way at the top. And, and uh, in a lot of ways, I think it was ridiculous, but... I also found it somewhat useful and it was also kind of funny to go you know spelunking through this version history and see like upper management back when they were just grunts you know who had made commits to like the string library and you think oh you know Sue Smith when did she ever actually write code? John, you know, whatever, he wrote code? I just knew him as, you know, super director and, you know, Sue's Underling or whatever the case may be. And uh, it's, it was always funny to see some of those people that had been there forever went back when they were, you know, in my position just, just slinging code.
1: That's me now because people come to me and say, I'm editing a bunch of code and I did the whatever blame thing on
0: it and all <laughs> the lines are from you. I'm like,
1: yeah, Yep. <laughs> said eight years ago. I'm like, mm-hmm.
0: Oh, oh speaking,
1: speaking of version controls, another thing I'm annoyed that my son's programming class doesn't teach him because, you know, I mentioned that he should use version control and he just rolled his eyes at me. But sure enough, I go over and look at his little Google Drive where he has to upload all of his source code. And um, what do you see in the folder with all his .dot .swift files? tank underscore v1 tank underscore v2 tank underscore v you know version control by file naming <laughs> oh god like because they don't they don't teach them to use version control and even if they did they can't use it in google drive the way they're forced to submit things so and locally locally on on the local mac is that so file he's doing the same things like i didn't i didn't i'm not gonna go through like i have to learn git or something and honestly i don't even know how git integrates with xcode so i'd probably just hose something so i'm like all right just just keep doing that but know that this is know that this is not what normal people do like, this is not the way to do it.
0: Yeah. It's funny you bring that up too, because uh, when I graduated from Virginia Tech with a computer engineering degree, I had never used source control. Like, I, I feel like, and this was in 2004 when I graduated, um, I, I feel like the program I went through was really good. I really honestly believe that. But it was very, very, very academic and not terribly pragmatic. And that, I somewhat regret and and I had to learn a lot of that stuff in my first job like oh this would have been so nice to have known about source control three years ago when I was working on school stuff although at that point I was such a slacker I probably would have avoided it anyway but nevertheless um, you know it, it was all that stuff like practical software development that I just didn't really get in school so I don't find it particularly in high school because it's high school that that he's in right now middle school.
1: Uh, high school,
0: yeah. Okay, so yeah, I'm not entirely surprised that uh, that a uh, high school program doesn't teach you about source control, but yeah, now th- going thinking of going back to to that time, just ugh, like it, it, it it's. Incredible to me that I was able to graduate from a four-year program and get an engineering degree in something that was related to software and still have n- had never used version control at the time. I-, I presume at this point that is very much a part of the pr- curriculum, but back in-, in the early aughts, it was not. Marco, did you ever do anything with it? Uh, no. No. So you didn't, you never had source control anything in school.
2: No, not at all. Like we, we, we barely learned anything, any kind of like you know practical, exactly. tooling kind of things like that. Like it was my my computer science education was much more focused on like you know the theoretical, the mm-hmm. you know types of languages, you know it's, you know stuff like you know how to design a compiler, you know that kind of stuff. It was nothing about version control or bug trackers or you know anything that you get in like modern software development practice and mm-hmm. uh, at the time it, it really annoyed me um but you know their argument that, you know the school's argument was you know those things are going to go you know they're, they're going to go in and out of fashion in a few years whereas like we don't want your education to be out of date in five years when the tools change and that's that's fair um but the reality is that just means that you have to pick up all that stuff on the job
1: yeah, like, the colleges generally consider themselves not to be vocational schools, and they're trying to teach you
2: theory and math and stuff that doesn't change,
1: and it makes some sense, yeah. but for the, for something like version control, like, in a four-year program, there's room for one section of one course that teaches you something practical. Like, it's not, it doesn't suddenly turn into, like, you know, Apex Tech for programmers. Like, it's not – it doesn't suddenly turn into just a, a boot camp, like – you're still learning all the cs theory and all you know the algorithms and all the crazy math and whatever you're learning like the timeless stuff that doesn't change or that only you know that, that isn't dated to certain technology products but just in one class maybe in your first class maybe is like a freshman class just to get you up and running before you know anything anyway just teach them the basics of, of version control I, I learned version control not from any of my classes i'm pretty sure uh but because i'm so old uh, I learned it. I learned it from the very first web pages showing you how to build like web pages and websites. Showed you how you could use CVS to help you build websites. Nice. That did not age well. That that knowledge and skill <laughs> and practice did not age well at all. And I think I think even in like some of my early jobs, I was using Subversion. Like my first job, I used CVS. Yeah. Uh, An RCS was what I read about it in my really old uh, Beauty Man Unix books, but I never actually used it because I could <laughs> tell you from reading about it that it was terrible. CVS is so much better. Mm-hmm. <sighs> Until you want to delete a directory. Yeah, just got to fix stuff in the attic. Everything will be fine.
0: All right, let's move on. The next Ask ATP question is from Dan Provost, friend of the show. And Dan writes, I'd love to hear your methodology. This is mostly for John. I'd love to hear your met- methodology for rating movies on Letterboxd or Letterboxd. I give way too many movies, either 3.5 or 4 stars. My system is broken.
1: Oh, I mean, my, <laughs> my, system, I, my system I use is similar from what I use to music, which is like, it's a little bit different. So for movies like we've talked about this on, uh, I've talked about this on a lot of my podcasts of uh, best versus favorite. Uh, is this your favorite song or is this the best song in your collection? Uh, and for songs, I tend to lean more on the favorite side, like the songs that I like a lot. They may not be the world's best song, but they may get in very high ratings because I like them. We talked about this last time with like songs with catchy music that I like, but with stupid lyrics, right? Movies, for whatever reason I lean slightly more in the direction of best. So I will only give a five as you know, they do star ratings up to five. I only give a five star rating to a movie that I think is just excellent. It's not perfect. Five doesn't mean perfect, but it means this is there are very few movies that are better than this. Like this is this is the, the, the cream of the crop. This this is a great, great movie. Like it does everything well, everything that it set out to do, it does well. Uh, Even if it's the type of movie I don't like, I might give something five stars because I think it was like an amazingly executed movie in a genre that I'm not that interested in. So it's not my favorite movie, but I would give it five stars. That's rare, but I'm saying I just lean slightly more in that direction. So the fives are reserved for movies that I think are just unassailable. Like you can find things to poke at them that are wrong, but in general, they do everything they're supposed to do. They have some exceptional elements and they have nothing super bad about them. Once you reserve the fives for those, you realize there aren't that many fives out there in the world. Like the best picture winner are the Oscars every year, chances of that being a five are pretty low lately, right? <laughs> so the fives are just, you know, every once in a while a movie will come along that you think is is a five. So cut them out. You don't have to worry about them. It's going to be like a handful of movies. Now you're working with one through four. Um, <laughs> four are movies that are. Really, really good, but there's at least one thing that you're like, eh? That could have been a little bit better. That's what the fours are. Three and a half is <laughs> is this was a good movie, but there is something obvious wrong to it that with it that I don't have to think too hard about. But they blew it in one particular aspect, and it's not like an eh, it's like, oh, that part wasn't good, but you know, or or that that aspect of it could have been a little bit better. But overall, it was a pretty good movie. Three is my thresholds for liked didn't didn't like it. If it's a three star, it's, like, the minimum uh, that I'm going to give a movie that I mostly liked, but it's got a lot of issues, right? But I still, like, yeah, I, I still had fun. It was fine, but it's not really a particularly good movie. And then anything below that, I don't think I have any two and two and a half, but twos, ones, like, I don't even use halves down in those ranges. Those are movies that you actively disliked, and not only do you actively dislike them, but they're not good movies. They... They didn't have any redeeming value. They weren't put together well. Everything, uh, various aspects of them were bad. That's just a question of where the garbage is in it. So I think I spent a lot of time hanging out in the, maybe I'd do the two and a half, two and a half, three, three and a half range. To break into a four, you have to be pretty good. Four and a half is like it's a five, except there's like one little niggle that is just, just bothering me and I can't give it a, a five, right? So I think if you did a distribution of my movies, I'm hoping it would, show that most of the stuff is hanging out around the threes you know two and a half three three and a half range anyway that's that's my system and i'm trying to use the whole range i suppose i don't use one and two enough like what distinguishes a one and two probably my hatred for it because like two is basically like (laughs) thumbs down one is like thumbs down and also i don't really i actively dislike you and half is when i can't (laughs) give it zero
0: Oh, man. Let's just never have you rate your co-hosts. All right. Uh, M. Rosilius writes, Hey, Marco teases that he has a new backpack a couple of months ago, but he didn't provide any details. Can you share the bag and contents you're bringing with you to WWDC? This is actually relevant for the pre-show that may or may not have even made it into the final recording. It will. But uh, w- what, uh, what would what would you say you're going to treat as your WWDC-specific everyday carry, Marco?
2: So it's not, it isn't every day, is it? It's going to have a generator and a really big knife. <laughs> 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 yeah. Um, yeah, I uh, I've, I went on this kind of backpack odyssey over the last couple of years, and I mentioned on this show before that I was a big fan of the peak design everyday backpack, but that I had kind of a love-hate relationship with it, uh, that I liked a lot about it, I used it for a long time, but... I, I, so I, I had the the smaller of the two, the 20, 20 liter, yeah, 20, 20 or 25, whatever it is, uh, the smaller of the two Peak Design backpacks. I loved so much about it, but it just never held enough stuff. It just it was just way too cramped. And the big one I saw um, actually last year at WWDC, um, two different people came up to me because I had mentioned it like you know recently before that, two different people came up to me and, and showed me they had like the larger one so I could see it in person. And I, saw, I looked at it, and I took one look at it, and I'm like, oh, that's way too big for me. I can't pull off the larger one. So I was kind of stuck. Now, as I was complaining about the smaller one, like one of the very first responses I got for it was somebody who, had, who said, I, I had the smaller one too, I had all the same complaints as you, I got the bigger one, and it's so much better, and it solved all my problems. So just get the bigger one, just try it. But again, I had seen them in person, and I thought, it's way too big on me, it, it, it would look ridiculous, it looks comical, it's just giant, forget it. And so I tried a bunch of other ones. I, I tried uh, the uh, the Tom Bin uh, Synapse twenty five, uh, which I believe I mentioned here on the show. That just it didn't fit at all. Like it like it, the, the shape it formed against my back when there was stuff in it was really really badly resting on me. Like it was clearly meant for, pe- for people who are taller than me. Um, and so all the love for the Synapse twenty five, I I understand from certain perspectives, but it just didn't fit me. Um, so. And, and the Synapse 19, I didn't want to try because uh, I, from what I understand, it doesn't really fit a 15 inch laptop very well. And uh, and I, while I don't currently have a 15 inch, I want the ability to have one in the future because I, I do waffle between 13 and 15 inch laptops, you know, every couple of years. So uh, so I thought, well, I'll try a few others. I I, I tried. Um, the uh, nomadic travel pack, and and by the way, this is a good time to shout out again to our friend Chase Reeves. Uh, Chase Reeves does a wonderful YouTube channel and a website at BagWorks.co where he reviews high end and you know mid range to high end like backpacks and travel bags and other travel gear like that. And uh, he's, he's, you know, super, like, backpack nerd. And, and he, so I, I love watching his videos for lots of reasons. I mean, he's also just a really fun person. But, you know, for for bag reviews, you can't go wrong with Chase Reeves and BagWorks.co. Anyway, so I was going through all his recommendations, watching all his videos, thinking, I got to find, like, my ideal backpack. Got to find it. Got to find it. And, I, you know, I tried a few. And eventually, I just, after going through a whole bunch of other bags and not liking them as much as I love-hated my peak design everyday 20 liter i decided you know what let me just freaking try the big one it's really big but it's fine and i'm like happy with it finally the bigness does actually solve many of its problems like like one of my <laughs> big problems with the with the small everyday bag is that the side pockets were so small as to be fairly useless. Like I I was almost like, why do they even put these side pockets in here? Uh, And the big one, the side pockets are just bigger enough that it's better. It works. The laptop compartment is still really tight. If you want to carry an iPad and a laptop, but it's doable and it's way more comfortable when getting a laptop in and out than the smaller one. Uh, The actual main cargo space is bigger and I'm able to fit more stuff, not like massively more, but more. And it's enough. I actually still have both sizes. And for one of the, if I, I took a day trip recently, and I decided let me just let me load up the small one and bring that to see like if I miss it. And I di- immediately I was like I can't fit anything in this thing, <laughs> and uh, <laughs> and so I, I fully converted it now to the big one. Uh, so I'm I'm happy with that as my bag. Now it is a big bag, and. I occasionally, actually, I frequently need or want a smaller bag for less needs. When I'm not, like, packing up for a big trip or bringing a bunch of gear with me, I'd like to have a smaller bag available. So I've gone through a similar backpack odyssey with that. One could argue I should just use the the smaller one of the everyday bags as my small bag, and that's a reasonable argument, which I might end up doing. Uh, I'm currently, uh, I'm testing, I'm using the uh, archetype dash pack. It's, uh, it's totally fine. Like it's, it's not like a, <laughs> you know, stellar bag, uh, but it's nice. I, I I don't know if I'm going to stick with the archetype uh, long-term. If this is like my, like I'm done small backpack, probably not. Um, because it's, it, there are, there are aspects of its, of its design that I don't use. Like it has this weird, Sideways laptop compartment that goes right against your back that you access from like the back side of it, and I just don't use that compartment at all because it's stupid. Like I just put my back, I just put the laptop in the main compartment where there is a pocket for it. Also, like I don't know why there's this weird thing on the back, uh, but anyway. So like you know, it, it, this bag is not perfect, but it's it's fine. Uh, but my my small bag needs are still unresolved. My big bag need though is pretty well solved by the Peak Everyday Thirty. As for what's in these bags, I decided a long time ago that I wanted my travel bag, whatever whatever my travel backpack was, in this case, the Peak Design, I wanted to always keep in it the things I would need, like, electronics-wise when I was traveling, which means buying extra things. In case you discovered this religion recently, too. Like, it's so much nicer if you can buy an extra charger and buy an extra cable and buy, you know, buy... <laughs> Extra copies of any tech that you need when you're traveling and just keep them in your backpack all the time. Never take them out unless you are using them during traveling. That is the only time you take them out. Otherwise, they stay there. And that way, you do have kind of this go bag, of at least for tech stuff, where like you know you can just like put your laptop in this bag if it isn't already in the bag and just take it with you, and, and you know you have everything you need. So, laptop charger, phone charger, if those are different things, uh, any cables you need, you know, if you want to have like, you know, a phone charger for the nightstand, for the hotel room, like, bring that, you know, the long cable for that, which is nice, that's another tip, like, get, get like, the, the two meter lightning cable for your phone, for traveling, it's really nice in the hotel rooms. Um, so, that kind of stuff, like, keep everything separate, and I also have, I have this, like, old person pill box, that I got from Amazon for like two for $7. And it's like this, this folding closed with like sticks together with magnets, pill organizer box that has just different little flip compartments that you could put different pills in. And I put in there a small amount of all sorts of over the counter drugs that I occasionally need while traveling antacids, you know, ibuprofen allergy pills, uh, dramamine stuff, stuff that I frequently will need while traveling that, is a pain to have to buy every time or is very expensive to buy like a tiny amount of in an airport or something, you know? And it's really nice to have that like always with me. Like, Oh, if I'm on the plane and I decide, crap, I, I need some Advil right now. Like I have it. It's fine. It's always there. So I have that in there. I have a couple of packets of fancy instant hipster coffee, swift cup coffee. That's my current favorite one. High end instant coffees, that are surprisingly good. They're a little expensive. Usually they're about uh, between like $1.50 and $2 each. Uh, So they're, you know, they're, they're surprisingly expensive, but they're, they're very good. Um, So, you know, I have my own coffee. And that way, like when you are on a plane, say, or somewhere like in a horrible place to get coffee, you can just ask for a cup of hot water, And you can then take out your little packet when nobody's looking and dump it into your cup and try to hide the fact that you're being a total jerk by making your own instant hipster coffee instead of taking the plain coffee. Uh, But it's totally worth being that jerk because it is so much better. Oh, what else do I keep in that bag? Um, Dongles, any kind of dongle I might need. Um, I have found... I have recently entered the sub-bag lifestyle for certain things. Uh, I, I certainly love packing cubes when traveling, like when packing like a, a big bag, like with clothes and everything. Uh, in the backpack, I don't, I, I don't use them quite as much, but I do like having a couple of small pouches for like tech miscellany, like stuff I don't usually need, but you know, I might. So that's, that's things like uh, a micro SD to full size SD card adapter, um, the, the little USB-C and lightning dongles to headphones stuff like that like you know like the little tech crap that you occasionally need you know a, a spare sd card stuff like that i have little tiny tom bin like zipper pouches for those yep that i shove pretty much everywhere and uh, and yeah and that's that's most of the stuff that stays there all the time oh like a, a little tiny notebook and pen um, I think the notebook's from Muji, like some like, small thing optimized for low weight and low size, because I don't usually need to handwrite anything, but occasionally I do. Um, I always carry earplugs with me uh, when traveling, because I will occasionally find myself in a very loud place, and I don't want hearing damage, uh, so I always carry earplugs. If I'm going on a plane, I will bring my noise-canceling headphones, currently the uh, Sony MDR uh, whatever whatever Mark II. I should mention my travel setup for powering and charging my devices is all USB-C. Uh, I have moved everything over to USB-C. Not all the peripherals that I have are USB-C yet, but but all of the power sources and then therefore all of the charging cables I have are USB-C. I only keep one USB-A cable with me. It's one of those like multi multi enders where it's like you have USB-A and on one end and then like micro C and Lightning. Things you could stick like little duck heads that you could stick onto the other end, but everything else I have is USB C. So all of my lightning cables, with the exception of that one, every other lightning cable is an Apple USB C to lightning cable. My charging cables are all Apple USB C to C charging cables because they're super thin, to the Apple ones. Um, and then my laptop charges with C. My headphones charge with a a C to micro adapter, and uh, yeah, it's 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 wonderful. All the power bricks. RC bricks. This is an area that has taken great strides recently. Um, I guess I'll put in the show notes. I have a couple of USB-C power bricks that are really nice. Um, there's uh, the new uh, gallium nitrate, gallium nitride, whatever the uh, the new like GAN standard or uh, silicon alternative is for making power transformers has allowed much smaller power bricks than before. Uh, so now, like you can get a little thirty watt power brick or a forty five watt power brick that's significantly smaller than they were before so i now use those on my laptop so i don't even carry the apple 60 watt brick anymore i use this like rav power 45 watt thing that is smaller than deck cards, and it weighs almost nothing and it's 45 watts which is enough for my travel needs and so i use that to power my laptop And I have a couple of smaller ones, like little eighteen watt things, little thirty watt things for powering my phone. And those those are powerful enough to fast charge a phone or an iPad, uh, but they're not that much bigger than like a phone or iPad power brick would be. So I have a few USB C power bricks, uh, a few USB C to C or Lightning cables, and my one multi cable, and that's it. It's wonderful. You might want to reconsider the
1: medicine thing because like the idea of having stuff always in the bag, ready, waiting for you, is fine for things that don't deteriorate over with age but i think some medicines do either lose their potency with age or other bad things happen to them even if they're sealed in bottles i don't i don't know exactly what you're keeping in there but it's worth looking for all the things you keep in there if this has been in there for five years is it any good anymore should i still be (laughs) swallowing it
2: (laughs) that's a good question oh and the the one big important thing i have come to in the last six months or so is that I, i i keep two bags like i keep the big bag and the small bag all of those exact same things are in both bags. I have duplicates of everything. So I can take either bag with me. And I know it's going to have a set of USB-C to whatever cables, the multi cable. Uh, I have two identical pill boxes like of all those pills, <laughs> like I they both have instant coffee in them. Everything is duplicated except for like the laptop. Like <laughs> I only have one laptop. But do you though? All of the accessories, yeah actually. All the accessories, all those like cables, chargers, you know, pills, notebook, pen, paper, like all that stuff is all duplicated between the two bags. So at any time, I can just grab either one of the bags and know that I have all those basics covered. And that has been really nice too. That has been almost as nice as having the bag, having like all the stuff stay in your travel bag in the first place. I think if you are leading a multi bag lifestyle, that's the way to do it. Like pick. Pick two bags, make you know, your big one and your small one, and load them both up with all the basics so that they're always available to you.
1: So you have a, either have a lot of willpower or it's a testament to your amazing conspicuous consumption that you don't find yourself digging into one of those bags when you just can't find that one adapter that you need. And you're like, oh, I know where one is. Oh, no, no, There's no, no. There's one no. in my no. bag, which is, which is a no-no. You're not supposed to do, but... The only reason you wouldn't do it is if you never find yourself in that situation because you bought 150 of them to be all over your house. Like the luxury of buying duplicates and triplicates of all your things and having the bags is nice, but that can get expensive. And Unless you travel a lot, maybe not entirely worth it. Uh, and the second thing is, as your kids get older, they will probably have fewer compunctions about, oh, I know where this. I mean, to, to, give an, to give an example and not to turn this into directives, I know where there's a nail clipper in dad's backpack because he always keeps one there. <laughs> So guess who's always digging into my backpack because they can't find any of the other nail clippers because they left them who knows where. And then I go and go for my nail clipper and it's not there. Why is it not there? A kid took it. So just
2: wait until your kids want your adapters. Just wait. I mean, the good thing is when you go to an all USB-C travel lifestyle, you actually don't need very many different things. Like there actually aren't that many, like by quantity, there aren't that many different things. Like and and it actually isn't it isn't that expensive to outfit a backpack with these basics like it because you're really talking about like two or three little power bricks you know, maybe three or four cables at most like it's it's not you're not talking a whole lot of stuff
0: you know something that I've discovered um, recently is. I have my Go Pack, which we'll put a link in the show notes to that. And that's fairly large. Um, and some of that, you know, well, actually, I guess all of it is self-created. But some of that is self-created because I like to be a little over-prepared. And I have a few things in there that I probably won't need, but you never really know.
2: Do you have an entire generator in your backpack?
0: No, I wish I did. Man, that would be convenient. Um,
2: <laughs> Might be a little heavy. heavy. but
0: convenient. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, what I've done is I have a Tombin organizer pouch, which is one of those uh, zipper clear pouch is probably the same thing you were talking about earlier, Marco. And I have that clipped to the inside of my Tom Bin Copilot, which is the bag I use more often than not these days because I don't have a 15-inch MacBook Pro anymore. Well, anyways, in this little organizer pouch, which is actually quite small, I keep one uh, lightning to USB C cable. One of those multi-ender cables that you were talking about is, I think Gruber had recommended it like a couple of months back, and basically every nerd bought one, including me. Yep. So it's the you know the USB A to C mini and micro, I think, or something like that. It's what you described before.
2: Uh, C mini and lightning. Uh, yeah. Or C micro and lightning. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
0: I think that's right. I keep the uh, Luna display in there. I keep, as you had said, the uh, USB-C to headphone adapter and a lightning to headphone adapter. I keep a, a mini SD and full-size SD card reader. It's the same thing. It's the same unit. It can do both. I keep a little tiny, tiny, tiny dongle that's a USB-A to C converter uh, because you never really know. And then a little tiny, um, I don't know who makes this, but it's a... A PowerPort Mini, which is a two-port... Sounds like Anchor. Right on the side, yeah. Uh, It's an Anchor two-port USB-A charger. So think of something that's about the size of an iPhone brick, but actually has two ports. And so this is convenient if you're in like an airport, and me and Aaron want to both charge our phones... Um, we could, well, actually would probably be doing that off of my away suitcase. Uh, I don't even know if they're sponsoring this week, but, uh, nope. but that really is the truth. That's probably how we would be doing it. But if not, we use this little, uh, anchor power port mini and all of that lives it was, now admittedly it gets crammed into, but all of that lives in this little pouch and that pouch can go back and forth between the two bags. Now in a perfect world, yes, I agree with you. I would have an identical pouch for the other bag that I would, that I used to use from time to time when I had a big laptop and now I almost never use it, which is a Tombin cadet. But anyways, uh, this little pouch, this is my my little mini go go pack, and the sanctity of this is paramount. This is what John was alluding to earlier nothing leaves this unless it goes back in the moment I have finished using it. And I am religious about that. So um, in a perfect world, I would never go into this unless I'm traveling. But in in the case that I do occasionally go into this, even when it's at home, I am very strict, and I will be until Declan is of age and Michaela later, uh, I am very strict about nothing leaving that until, unless it is absolutely necessary and then it gets dropped right back in as soon as it's done.
2: By the way, my this whole this whole bag thing, like like my whole like cables and power and everything. This is why I want the iPhone to go USB-C. Oh, agreed. Cuz mm-hmm. right now, the only like I have C to C and C to Lightning cables, and I have to have these two different cables and and there currently is nobody who makes cables that are C to multi-ender Lightning or C. Like that's a, those don't exist as far as I know. And if they did, they would probably be severely limited with like how much power they could transfer or something like that. Like right now, like I can take a C to C cable and charge my laptop with Apple's little skinny C to C or their little skinny um, yeah, their charge cable, the one meter charge cable. It's a C to C cable. It's like as thick as an old lightning cable, which is like not very thick at all. And it's very, you know, small, light, thin, flexible, and it can plug into a tiny like thirty watt or forty five watt you know, GAN power brick. And I have the, what used to be like this big bulky setup to charge a laptop is now this tiny little, like, you know, thin light, small thing. That's way cheaper too. like, you know, the combined cost of the cable and the power brick is like 50 bucks, way cheaper than buying a separate laptop charger used to be. And you can keep it in your back. And If you don't need it at that moment, you can use the exact same thing to charge an iPad. And if you switch out the cable and put the lightning version on, you can use the exact same thing to charge a phone. And if the phone also goes USB-C, that makes all of this even better. I will very quickly throw away most of my lightning cables if that happens, because I have lightning cables all over the place, like, just in case I need, you know, for a phone or whatever. And it's like, man, I, I... That cannot happen soon enough. Like The the transition, hopefully, of a phone to USB-C will make this even better, even simpler. It'll make me carry even fewer cables.
0: Yeah, I am definitely ready for the iPhone to go USB-C. I don't expect it to happen quite yet, but I am ready for that life.
2: All right, thanks to our sponsors this week, Squarespace, Linode, and Marine Layer. And we will see you next week.
0: Now the show is over. They didn't even mean to begin Cause it was accidental Accidental. Oh, it was accidental Accidental. John
2: didn't do any research Marco and Casey wouldn't let him Cause it was accidental Accidental. Oh, it was accidental Accidental.
1: And you can find the show notes at ATP.FM
2: And if you're into Twitter You can follow them E-Y-L, I S S, right. so that's Casey Lis, M A R C O A R M E N T right. Marco Armin, S-I-R-A-C, USA
0: Syracuse it's accidental, accidental.
1: Semi real time follow up. Apparently, Letterboxd does have a view where you can see your average ratings per year. It a little wonky, like back in time for like old movies, where I'll like rate one movie for the entire year, and that becomes the average rating. Uh, but looking at the graph, you can see my average rating has been going down slightly during like the years where I watch lots of movies. My highest rated non my highest rated year with enough samples is 1980 with an average of 4.38. 2019's current rating is 2.90. Ooh. Um, there's lots of twos around uh, the past five years or so. Like 2016 is 3.12. It just clears three. Um, so yeah, I guess that makes me a tough grader, but I just feel like I'm using the whole range. I mean, these years, these are years (laughs) like the two thousands and stuff and where I'm watching lots of movies. So I feel like the average is representative, but as I go back in time, either the only movies I even remember from like my childhood are the ones that were really good. So the average is high or I've only, I only have like three movies rated in like 1961 or whatever. So, the average is high because again i'm i'm rating you know movies that i've seen that are old just because they're probably classics or really good movies but yeah letterboxd has got everything I'll um, put that link in the show notes too
0: what else is going on
2: uh, do you want to talk about your app or do you want to save it for when you ship it
0: the, you know at the moment i am angling and hurtling toward releasing it's been extremely fun extremely stressful and extremely weird and good in this last push because you know i've been i've been sending betas or alphas i've been calling them whatever i've been sending builds to you know a bunch of friends and i think my test flight has something like 30 people on it most of whom are friends a few of them are you know people that i that i at least casually know um but it's been a lot of fun getting a whole bunch of feedback from a whole bunch of people, most of which has been really tremendous and has made the app a hell of a lot better. Some of which I disagree with some of which I begrudgingly agree with. And then, or, or I like Marco and I've been going back and forth on a few things, which, you know, sometimes we'll be like, ah, oh, I don't know. I really don't like this, but then it has led one of us typically Marco to, to have an epiphany that, uh, that, that has made things really a whole lot better. So it's been, it's been a lot of fun, you know, it, when when you have a regular jobby job uh, especially if it's a i don't want to say the word relaxed but maybe not a fast paced jobby job sometimes you can lose sight of or you know it's it's just it's nice it's nice at a regular jobby job to have that that moment when you have to give the big heave and i haven't really had to do that in a while because even at my last jobby job for the most part the deadlines were self created so you know, oh, well, we didn't hit that deadline, eh, whatever. Uh, it's been a few years since I've had like a really strong deadline. And and as I've said in past shows, I really, really, really want to try to at least get this into app review before WWDC, preferably out before WWDC. But at the very least, I'd like to get an app review on, you know, extremely soon. And having that deadline and then working with all of my friends and, and whatnot, trying to get this squared away It has been so stressful and so occasionally frustrating. But overall, it has been such incredible fun. And I'm really appreciative to a bunch of my friends who have spent An unfair amount of time. And and by that, I mean unfair to them amounts of time helping me out this, helping me out this stuff. Uh, Marco is a great example of this. Um, My friend Jelly, who does um, what is it? Independence. Is that right? The, uh, the really great podcast with uh, Curtis Herbert and Alex, Alice Zhao. Um, I hope I have all that right. That was right off the top of my head. Um, Anyway, uh, Marco and Jelly have been extremely helpful. Uh, ben Rice McCarthy has been extremely helpful, and it's just been a lot, a lot of fun. And I'm, I'm stressed out of my mind, but at the same time, I'm, I'm really enjoying getting this kind of across the finish line. And, and I think the thing that's most exciting about it is, it's gone from utter crap, both functionality wise and looks wise. To something that was at least somewhat, you know, it was getting there, both in terms of functionality and looks. But now, I don't think this is going to win any design awards by any means. I'm not trying to oversell it. But I'm pretty proud of how this looks. And as someone who is a is an okay design critic but has no... Design. <laughs> I'm pretty happy that you know Ben and Jelly and Marco have really been able to steer me in the right direction to get this thing looking pretty good. And I know that there's things that Marco still disagrees with, and and we don't necessarily need to talk about that now. Although we can if it's relevant. But but even just even with the things that I'm ignoring that Marco's suggesting, I still <laughs> think this is way better thanks to Marco and Jelly and Ben's influence than it would have been if I just left, it was left to my own devices. So I think the three of you particularly, and everyone else has been helping out. It wasn't just the three, three of you, but, but I think the three of you particularly, um, but it's been a lot of fun and, oh man, it is, oh, I'm so stressed. I'm, I'm excited. Like I'm really happy, but I'm so stressed.
2: I mean, that's, that's, part of the process like yeah yeah yeah. like i like one thing that that i think is going to be telling here and i don't want you to answer this yet because you don't actually know the answer yet uh, but I, i i will be asking you at some point in the future you know whether this is going to be like making videos or whether it's going to be something that you want to actually keep up with like because you know what what i think you learned what i certainly have learned is that while i kind of Learned how to make videos. I hated every minute of it, and I kind of decided, you know what? I probably actually don't enjoy this enough to really keep doing it. And you are going through a lot of stuff now with this app that you haven't either either have never had to do or haven't had to do for a long time, or maybe maybe only only had to do it on a different scale before, mm. or coming from a different place. Sure. sure. And so you are going through all the crap that is necessary to make your own app like you know you, all all the stuff that you don't have to deal with when you have a full-time job with other people where you're only like one cog in the machine and so you're dealing with a bunch of crap now that you may or may not actually want to do again in the future and i don't i do not want the answer now but i will be asking you at some point soon like to 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 try to evaluate that to try to say like is this something that you actually enjoy doing? Because like if all this crap that you have to do to get a version 1.0 of an app out the door, you know, you have to like get 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 an icon made, get the name squared away, you know, get the app store, submission crap, get the in-app purchase, all this like all this stuff that you have to do to to get any 1.0 app in the store when it's only you working on it. Is that going to be something that you actually want to do again in the future, or is it going to be such a grind and it's going to get you so down that you would rather work with other people still and not do stuff on your own?
0: Yeah, I think that's a fair question. It's actually something I was thinking about early, earlier today. You know, Marco and I were going back and forth uh, a couple of times during the day, where you know he would suggest something and I would either say, "Wow, that's a great idea," well, give me a few minutes, or "Oh my god, no, I don't want to do that at all." And then oftentimes I would do it, and then sometimes we would end up that yeah, I would be convinced that Marco was right, but sometimes I ignored him. But anyway, um, and, as and by we were the doing way, just a quick
2: sidetrack, if you'll forgive me. Uh, mm-hmm. I get design feedback from very talented people making very good points about my app all the time. I don't listen to all of it. <laughs> right. Like there cuz yeah. like design design suggestions are merely that, they're suggestions. Any designer who's giving something who they who says it isn't a suggestion is lying to you. Uh, it's always a suggestion and sometimes it's a really good suggestion and sometimes sometimes they point out problems that maybe you disagree with the way they solved it, but are still legitimate problems that you need to solve. Uh, but regardless, people's design suggestions are just that. They are suggestions and you don't have to follow them all. Yeah. Uh, it, you know, again, it, it is worth considering why they're making that suggestion and seeing if maybe you can solve it in a different way if you don't like their solution. Uh, but it's merely that it's it's merely like how other people would do this, and you can take that with a grain of salt if you want to. And you can for for some of these things, you can say, you know what, I I appreciate the feedback, but I I want to do it my way on this because I think my way is better, or this is the way I want to do it. And mm-hmm. you know, okay. and and sometimes you'll be wrong, <laughs> but but you know, that's that's a part of the learning process that you're going through too. It's like like you're going to have to figure out for yourself like when to take that feedback and when to know not to.
0: Yeah, yeah, I completely agree, and it's. So an example of this, and I'll be specific because I think it's a really good like kind of case study about something that I really enjoyed that happened. I think it was earlier today. It's been such a blur. I've been working kind of nonstop, but um, you saw like six I, builds today. Yeah, it wasn't six, but it was <laughs> it was a bunch. I mean, I've been I've been really trying to get this thing out the door. But um, the the kind of landing screen and a general run of the app is or the way it existed. 24 hours or less ago, was that you know you have a navigation bar at the top, you have a button at the bottom, and a whole bunch of white space with nothing in the middle. And at, at, I didn't love it, but it was not something I was really looking at fixing at the time. And, and Marco very justifiably said, sometime in the last 24 hours, in, in a nicer way, basically, you got to fix this thing, man, because this looks like crap. And you know marco had had come up with several different ideas which i ignored and i and i put <laughs> i did this knowing that it was going to drive you freaking mad and it did so uh it not in like a not in a screw you marco way just in a i know this is going to really piss him off and that will cause both he and i to find a solution to this problem so what i did was i i put a, a like a Fifty percent opacity bit of text directly in the center of this humongous swath of white space.
2: Yeah, like you had you had this button on the bottom that's basically like start. Yeah, mm-hmm. and and this, and there was nothing above it before, so it was a giant white screen with a button like by the home indicator saying start.
0: Yeah, yeah, yep, yep.
2: And so yep. your solution was to uh, my my suggestion was get rid of the screen entirely, just start. <laughs> and yeah. mm-hmm. your solution was to. Put, like, a a label, a text label, uh, like, in the middle of the white space saying, like, Click down there to start or something, and an arrow pointing down. <laughs> yep.
0: And I and I knew that I was never going to ship that for real, but I knew it would get both of us riled up enough that it will <laughs> force us to find a solution. So I was basically uh, I was I was compensating Marco for helping me by pissing him off. So that, that's how friends work, right? Um, but anyway, but, but but I bring this up in in part to laugh about it, but also in in all seriousness because then what ended up happening was. Uh, this morning, you and I were going back and forth about you know what can we do to fix this and and there were th- there 's some other nuance that i 'm going to kind of gloss over here that was important in in the context of our conversation. but what we ended up deciding was, hey, what if we move the button to the middle and also when you tapped this go button, which is the button that would go and search for all you know all these different services for images for all of your contacts, you know, that can use a whole lot of data. And so the way it worked before today was when you tapped that button, it would say it would look and see if you were on cell or if you were on Wi-Fi. And if you were on you know LTE, it would say, Whoa, 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 are you sure? Because this could use a whole lot of data, and there would be a prompt, and then you could say basically, yeah, yeah, fine, whatever, or oh, you're right, I'll do it later. And I never really liked that prompt to begin with, but it was important to me that the user was at least aware that, hey, this is potentially going to use a bunch of data. Are you sure? Well, not only did I not like the prompt, but the, well, not the the podcast. I love the podcast. I'm talking about the prompt in my app. But just... anyway, uh, the, not only did I not like the alert, but uh, on top of that, the code that was holding that, all that together, I really didn't like. And it was one of those things where I'm not going to fix it right now, but I'm going to have to re-architect this at some point. So I already didn't like that whole co- that whole block of code. I didn't like this white space. I didn't like the alert. And then what Marco and I ended up concluding was, hey, let's move the button to the middle and put a nice little piece of text below it that basically says, hey, we really, make, you know, it's really recommended you do this over Wi-Fi. And that solved everything at once. It got rid of, or maybe not solved, but at least dramatically improved everything at once. So it got rid of that huge swath of white space or broke it up, I guess, if nothing else. It, it got rid of that ugly alert that I really didn't like. It got rid of all the code for that ugly alert that I didn't really like. And in the heat of the moment, like I was never annoyed at Marco, but I was annoyed at the situation because I I felt like neither of us were coming up with good answers and and I was just getting frustrated by it. But then when it was mostly Marco I think, but, but but one way or another when the two of us reached this conclusion, it was like, ah, this is exactly what what I wanted. This is so much better." And I don't want to put words in your mouth, Marco, but for me, that whole exchange was one of the things I miss most about work. Because even though I do quite like being my own independent person, it is just fun to me anyway to be able to bounce stuff off of someone and work together to find a solution that you're really excited about, if not proud of. And, and something that that I got thinking about after that, that whole happy kerfuffle was over was I wonder how much you feel that way as well. And it's okay if you're like, well, I'm just helping out a friend and I really hated every moment of it. Like, whatever. I, I got what I needed out of it. It's so okay. <laughs> but, but I can't help but wonder because you strike me as a, a little bit more fiercely independent than I am i I wondered, you know, was this fun for Marco, or does Marco miss this for overcast, or perhaps you are getting it from Overcast, just not from me, which is perfectly fine, but you know this this it was a lot of fun for me to have that back and forth with you and and it, and I don't know, and I was curious, like do you enjoy that sort of thing, or would you rather just go into your cave? I don't mean that dismissively, but you know what I mean? like go into <laughs> your cave and and then come out with this like perfectly hewn piece of of whatever of app.
2: Well, I mean, you are on the Overcast beta. You know that that's not how it works usually.
0: Yeah, as you're mm-hmm. alluding
2: to, one of the hardest things as an independent developer is getting good feedback and having finding a way to have that feedback loop of you know like iteration with somebody else or with other people's contributions and ideas and 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 it's funny like you know like as you mentioned like one of the uh, one of the most frustrating feelings is when someone points out a problem with your design and you know, they're right, but neither of you have come up with something yeah. better yet. <laughs> like, and, yep. and that, and that is part of the fun. Like that's, that's why you were like, like you were so mad. Cause it's like, I, I, cause I, you know, I get the same kind of feedback too, where like somebody will tell me something that's wrong and something I'm proposing. i and be like, ah, cause they're right. That is wrong. Or this does suck in this mm-hmm, way. And, mm-hmm. and I, and I just can't, Figure out anything better yet, but eventually, yep. you know, eventually I do. And so, where I get this feedback from is a combination of friends, Tiff, and Twitter. the The best suggestions come from like when i when i kind of like iterate a design on twitter which i do sometimes with overcast where like i'll like post a screenshot i'm like oh, i'm kind of thinking about this what do you think and then i'll get a whole bunch of responses from people and then i'll be like all right well how about this and i'll I'll kind of tweak it live like on twitter like and and get feedback that way that's really cool when that happens i don't do it that often but when when, when i when i have something where that makes sense to do that feedback is always really valuable
0: really excellent um yeah, I just i i I don't know how much I drove you nuts today, but but I will speak for myself in saying I was having a hell of a lot of fun. Like, even, even when I was frustrated with what was going on, it was still a hell of a lot of fun just working with somebody, especially someone who I quite like, you know, and working with someone and trying to figure out a solution to a problem. Like, that's, to me, that's what, I think that's what engineering is all about, is just looking at the trade-offs and trying to find the best solution you can, given time constraints, given everything that you have in front of you. And and that, to me, is the core of engineering. And I know Dr. Drang, if he is listening to this, is like just dying right now. But that's what I find most fun about this discipline, which I claim to be engineering. And so… Uh, I was really enjoying it, and I appreciate all the help and appreciate you taking the time to go back and forth with me. And um, And I think the app, not, not just because of this white space issue, it was just a very easy case study that I could describe verbally, but I think the app is much better for all of the feedback I've gotten from all the beta, beta testers, but particularly uh, you, Marco, amongst others. So I appreciate it. Thanks. It was fun for me, too. Marco, did you talk to him about the emoji titles for the sections and settings? Oh, come on.
2: I No, I actually decided not to fight that fight because I thought it was kind of fun. <laughs> See,
0: thank you.
1: I mean, it's it's definitely a Casey personality thing, but it's... Mm, like, they're too yeah. small to be honest. They are.
0: I will concede they're a little bit small. That, that, that I would agree with. And you.
1: then if you made them bigger, then it's like, what are these stray emoji doing in my UI? <laughs> I mean, I know why they're there, but... People who don't know you might be confused. Anyway, yeah, whatever.
2: no, I, I thought I thought they were like when I first saw that, I am like, oh, that's weird. But then I I it, it went from weird to good for me. Like I I liked it because <laughs> like like I I use some emoji in the Overcast interface.
1: Yeah, like the tips for great results, like the little uh, the light bulb that makes sense. But as as section headings, like it throws off like the spacing. It's just not visually balanced.
2: Well, I don't know. I mean, I, I think like the use of emoji in UI is still very young. And a lot of people will react negatively to it just because it's not the common case, but that doesn't mean it's wrong it, or that doesn't mean that you shouldn't do it. Like you, you wouldn't believe like most people didn't care, but I did, I did get a few like really nasty comments when I switched to using emoji for things like indicating whether an, an episode is starred or whether it will stream. I use the star emoji or the cloud emoji in its little description label in, in those circumstances. And, there were, you know, most people didn't care. I thought it was thought it was cool, but uh, there were a few people who were like were like viscerally offended by that that I was using emoji in the interface. Like that was really offensive to a small number of people. But you know, most people don't care because most people are not jerks. <laughs> I'm
1: surprised people got that angry. Wait, about what it. do the people care about? What is their complaint exactly?
2: Like that, you didn't draw it yourself? There's always there's always a subset of people who are really mad at me because I don't hire a designer for most things. Hmm. Are, these, are these designers looking for work? Is that no? <laughs> I, I think sometimes. I mean, there, there is the whole phenomenon of like the unsolicited redesign, <laughs> which I get all the time. And uh, and one thing, and by the way, Casey, you're going to get this too. Uh, and some of it is from us. Uh, but it, like the unsolicited redesign, the people doing it usually are not considering some. some design challenge or some factor that you have to include or some condition that they didn't think about Mm -hmm. like Mm -hmm. usually you can't do their design or you shouldn't do their design because of some reason that they didn't consider that you know because you make the app i will tell you what i i get a lot of overcast unsolicited redesigns i have never gotten one that was even remotely tempting of like i should do that like not even once because they're usually first of all a lot of times they're just bad design. Like, you know, anybody can call themselves a designer. Heck, I do. Like, <laughs> <laughs> there's there's no qualifications required to call yourself a designer. There's no like professional certification or anything. Like, you can call yourself whatever you want. Uh, and a lot of the designers are just bad. But also like, so many of them are are designs that like, I I look at it and I'm like, is this actually better? Like, who would think this is better? Like, and or like this doesn't really account for this entire feature set over here that I know I can't cut Uh, or like, wow, this looks great on this size phone, but it will totally break on this other size phone or, you know, something like that. Like there's people basically, you know, more about your app than anybody else. Like, you know, what is necessary, you know, all the design considerations and constraints that went into the current design to begin with. You know why it is the way it is if you did put thought into it, um, so like ultimately, you know do stuff your own way and and that's why my solution has been to just slowly develop these skills myself because I was tired of working with other people who would try to make me do things that I would immediately be like, "Well I can't do that because then I can't do this or then this mm-hmm, will break or mm-hmm. that won't work if I change the font size or whatever like there's all like there were so many conditions constantly where I would like somebody would suggest something or I would hire a designer and they would do something and I'd be like, why well, I that's nice, but I, I can't do that. Or I'd rather not do that because then that would create this other problem over here. So in conclusion, don't always listen to everybody to what everybody tells you because ultimately <laughs> take take it all as suggestions. Because ultimately you you should know best and, and maybe you don't yet, I don't know, but you should know best what your app should be.
0: Yeah, and with you and with everyone else, I have taken them as suggestions, but at this point, I feel, and maybe, and maybe this is my own self-deprecating nature that has been on display for many years now, But it, but I feel like I know enough to know what I don't know, and I know I'm not a terribly great designer, and so... Generally speaking, if someone comes to me and passionately says, "Oh, this is really jacked up," generally speaking, I'm going to listen to them. Now, there's some cases where I'm not. Like, so as an example, that whole cascading selection thing that I love so much, I'm going to ship that at least in part. And you and I were going back and forth about this earlier, Marco. Uh, I'm going to ship it at least in part, but I've toned it down and I've eliminated one of the use, one of the places where it's used because I think even though I find this clever and interesting and funny, I'm, I'm unconvinced that anyone else will. And so I'm going to ship it as is to see what happens. And then if I, if it ends up that I need to pull it, I need to pull it. It's no big deal. But then that's a very, very silly example, but it's something, it's an example. And like the emoji uh, uh, section headers, they're totally getting shipped that way. i yeah, may regret it, should. but I'm, I'm definitely going to ship it that way. Cause I like it and I think it's cool. And I've, and I, I'm sure it's been done in other apps before, but I can't think of any where it's been done. Maybe because everyone else is too serious about their jobs. (laughs) Well, here's the thing.
2: You have have an advantage here in that you are independent. You have to answer to nobody else for this except for, you know, us. (laughs) But, but (laughs) But, like, you know, if you decide you want to ship emoji... Damn it, you can ship emoji. Like that's it. You yeah, you can totally. put you can fill that. You can communicate everything in the app via emoji if you really want to. No one's going to stop you. And you know, you're using emoji for headers in a settings table view is going to affect nobody. It's going to lose you probably no sales and it's fine. Like so if it makes you happy, ship the damn thing. Like you're making this app to make yourself happy. Like do, you know, if that's if that's what makes you happy, do it. And it, you know, it, it it might even reward you. Like like when I was when I shipped 1.0 for Overcast, like there was a whole bunch of personality in the app and various microcopy here and there. And at the time, that was not common to see. I, 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 honestly, I think it still isn't. But uh, like, I was worried that that would make my app appear unprofessional or that I wasn't taking it seriously enough or anything. I, I had no idea how people would take that. It was a risk, but. It paid off. People took it really well, and I maybe I've lost some people over the you know over the years who didn't want their app to have any personality. Uh, but certainly, those people are probably the minority, you know, dramatically so. And so, yeah, you might you might have like one person like John who is really weirded out by your emoji <laughs> settings headers, but chances are it's not going to be a majority, even close. And it might even make your app seem even more friendly and even better. And it might even cause people to buy your app even more.
0: Yeah, and you know, another example of this is I tend to be pretty verbose uh, when it comes to the copy in the app. Oh, dear God, yes. and, And at first, when you were beating me up about the copy, I was like, well, I don't... I don't want this to sound like Marco's app. And that, that wasn't at all what you were trying to do, but that's how it was felt at first. And some of those first iterations that you had suggested, I was like, Oh my, I, 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 I like the spirit of where he's going with this, but I think I should take it a slightly different direction. And then toward the end, I think, I well, I like to think, maybe maybe it's just me lying to myself, but I, I think because of, you know, I would try this version, which was a lot shorter, but wasn't exactly what you said. And then you would say, okay, well, what about that? And then I tried that. Okay, well, what about this? And by the end of this back and forth, we ended up with something that I don't think screams Marco. I don't know that necessarily screams Casey, but I do think that it is better for the user than where I started by a lot. And so... That is another example of some back and forth where I could have taken what you had initially sent exactly as it was, and it would have been an improvement. It would not have been bad, but it just didn't feel exactly the way I wanted it to feel. And I'm, and I'm glad that you were willing and patient enough to go back and forth with me about a lot of this copy because I do quite like where we ended up because it was, it was way too much. And I didn't really see it until you pointed it out, but once you pointed it out, immediately I was like, oh, yeah, this is way too much.
2: And I have you down to, I think, only one semicolon
0: left. You know, semicolons don't hurt you, I swear.